This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Dr. Sean McBride. Uh, Sean was just a blast to chat with. Uh, We talked about quite a number array of different things, his military history, uh, his time at the Naval Academy, going out on naval warships, uh, getting into the naval flight portion of his career, eventually into the medical world. We talked homeschooling, philosophy, psychology, uh, you know, some current stuff in the media, uh, really just a, a wide array of different things, which is what I really enjoy. Like that's the whole point of me or the whole reason I got into this podcast is just to have these conversations where I can explore people's passions, but also just explore ideas and topics and whatever else. So uh, I really, really enjoyed this one. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the obsessed podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Okay. And you don't have anywhere you need to be in the next? No. I got a haircut at like 1.30. That's okay. So weird schedule I got. So it's like... uh, very weird schedule. I don't know, Grace Filchin, but I was on for three years straight, basically. I had like two 12 days off, but 24-7, 365 for three years, kind of crazy. Yeah. And not many people do that, right? And there was, it, it was kind of crazy. But uh, but then my son was getting married, and the only way to get time off for that is I had to give notice to like, the contract would have run until January, or I'm sorry, July 1st. But my son was getting married in May, so I gave notice for the first week in May. And then since then, I've been a locum up there. Crazy, just how it is, but a locum. Uh, my contract was initially a week on, week off, week on, week off, which is how I came here in the first place when I was recruited here back in, I started in November of 17 uh, with Kirk Clemmie, if you ever heard that name. Mm-hmm. So he was the guy that was up there and we'd do a week on, week off. And when you're on, you're on for seven days straight, 24-7 in case there's, you know, lots of stuff at night and what have you. But right. um, he retired, they got a replacement for him and then it was not a good fit. He was a city slicker guy. And then, um, you know, they offered me, I offered, hey, I can do a little bit more, obviously, to keep the boat afloat and keep things going. And they're like, well, we can't give you more, but we can outsource the anesthesia part to you uh, as a contractor to cover all MD. And I'm like, okay, yeah, because I can get a partner or something. Right. And then, of course, uh, in humility, I'll just tell you that I thought it would be pretty damn easy, right? And I interviewed two guys or three guys, brought one, two guys up here and paid for all that and all that, and it just didn't work out. So mm. my wife and I decided to suck it up and just just do it for as long as we can because it's not onerous you know it's 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 a it's a wonderful blessing to work here and the, the peoples and all that jazz but it just definitely gets old anyways right. i had to give notice to go to my son's wedding do a little break with that and it's just kind of uh how about this your your podcast is you know somebody who's like obsessed right, right and it's right. not like um how about this i'm an accidental obsessed kind of guy you know if that makes sense it wasn't my intention right if yeah that makes sense no absolutely yeah. and this is good do you mind if we just roll with yeah this? sure you tell me like, uh, i should have you go a little bit closer oh i'm sorry you sorry about that, that. if we need to swing it towards you that's yeah, okay yeah. too or i can come close and disrest or whatever how about that yeah that looks perfect nice so and and that is something i heard that my, my sister was talking and, and bruce was talking like you worked 
quite a bit right around the yeah. clock for three years or whatever else but i just that was a question i had is how do you maintain that and it must be that you have a huge why behind it all right or how do you how do you not get burnout on uh, that? that is true that is true so uh again a few components to that number one your worldview just how will you see yourself in the world and you know you've heard maybe you haven't but everybody is a philosopher everybody's a theologian sure. just most people suck at it because they don't really consider themselves that but everybody thinks about why am i here where am i going where am i from and what's it mean right these right, are big yeah. questions you got to answer and so that plays a underlying foundational role but of course uh i'll just give credit where credit's due of course my wife right you know yeah. and like i said uh military wife where we moved all over the place and the foundation of her strength to make that happen number one uh you know but it is if i can your your podcast is the obsessed or whatever but i'll say if there's any superpower if you will that i have and i'm not i'm trying to say that with humility yeah it's i'm the king the master of delayed gratification okay where i'll try to have a vision for something years out and then i'll get there nobody's ever accused me of being the sharpest tool in the shed i'm not like a super smart guy but i'll outwork anybody on the planet you know if i've got something i think it's worth waiting for and working for right and uh in this particular case the weird contract how it ended up being like the 24 7 365 a few things it's uh the power of rationalization i've had it much worse you know i'm not deployed out in the desert i'm not you know i say this and my my true level will roll our eyes but you know i'm not pooping in a can i'm yeah. not uh getting shot at it's not 120 degrees and i'm not losing friends and it's like it's and i go home at night right and yeah i get called in but i go home to the same bed at night you know with my true love right there it's like that's that's sweet that's that's Every day is a vacation, you know, coming home through the door and there she is, right? So, right. Um, but also, I have to admit, after about six months of trying to get the traditional partner and it just didn't work out, uh, it was much more, you know, complicated. Again, just with, it gives you humility for the powers that be that, that do this on a regular basis, right? Right. To try to recruit and retain and, and try to figure all that stuff out. Uh, you, you, I'll tell you what it does you get a a better perspective to you know you walk in their moccasins right where you'll just be like oh this is really hard to make people happy and to recruit and retrain uh, for, we, we like being up here right obviously mm -hmm. you like being up here i like being sure. up here if you're right. up here most people up here you know enjoy it and get it but if you're <laughs> trying to recruit somebody from downstate or out of the area where they got panera's bread and they got all the niceties it's it's much more challenging right so anyways it gave me a perspective that about six months into the search though of trying to find a partner my wife and i just kind of looked at each other and just like all right you know are we are we able to do this i think we can do this with some locum breaks so i would my contract was so that i would have to pay for any breaks i got anybody that gives me a, a vacay and i'm like okay well that's that's done okay mm -hmm. i can i can set that up through different um resources there was two gentlemen from downstate who had been up here before as locums and I could even avoid the locum company and just do direct to them, make them a deal. Mm -hmm. And man-to-man -man kind of thing on a single piece of paper, you know, this is what I'm offering, this is what you're gonna do, this is what I'm gonna do, and very um, lawyer light. In other words, no lawyer, just sure. we're, we're men shaking hands, right. and this is, you know, and, and we sign something that kind of holds us to that, but it's, you know, uh, lawyers might roll their eyes and say you need it. But the point is, these were two trusted players. The first guy that come up, uh, give me a break, but here's the bugger. Then he got sick. Right. Okay, so, and then simultaneous, uh, so he gave me a little uh, two-week break, 
uh, I don't know, maybe about a year into my weird contract, I got a two-week break. And then as I was contracting him to come back and give me another little break, um, he got a, a pretty significant disease where uh, he can't even work downstate now, right? So mm-hmm. he had, uh, and he's a young man with kids and God yeah. love him, you know. And it just goes to show you, you know, you and I both every day, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and take a big deep breath and just appreciate what you got because it, it sure, it's not promised, right? So anyways, he, he couldn't come anymore, but he had a buddy that could come up and fill. So that was a little delay getting the second break, but he eventually was able to come up and give me another break. And then I had more breaks with him scheduled, but then COVID happened and yeah. <laughs> nobody could get a break. So, so it was just kind of crazy. So it was a long haul, you know, a little over a thousand days or something like that. But again, A, uh, you've heard this too, that if you like what you do, you know, you'll never work another day in your life. And I definitely enjoy what I do. I like uh, the people I work with and, and it's kind of the, the practice of what I do. Uh, so A, it's never like driving up the hill is like, oh, rats, I got to go up there. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, um, that delayed gratification thing my wife and i kind of figured well with the extra because i get a little extra for this right is that you can put that aside and then at the end of the three years you got a little bit more flexibility and freedom to kind of sort out what you want to do and we do have a a vision of long term maybe increasing our our serve right Mm. overseas and medical missions and stuff my wife's done a bunch of stuff overseas like in the syrian refugee camps in uh, thailand and mexico and serving in places where people got nothing Mm -hmm. and no prospect of having nothing unless you go and help them right so uh and you're not trying to develop dependence on on the on the very much the contrary to that you're trying to develop infrastructure so they can help themselves but uh the point being that there's a time and a place to go to try to do good medicine in bad places right and i've done that a little bit and she's done that a little bit but we'd like to do that together but of course uh, it don't come cheap. You know, you got to go, uh, and typically you pay your way. There's only a few organizations where they'll actually pay you to go to bad places and do good medicine. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you that story if you want, cause I did apply yeah. an interview with uh, medicine sans frontier. Have you ever heard of, uh, mm. doctors without borders? No, I don't think so. Oh so, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. doctors without borders is an international organization. They, uh, um, you know, they're, they're very well known. They go to all over the place and they do all kinds of things. Uh, and they've got very strong, robust infrastructure. And at one point I did, I applied to them, did the paper interview, and then you do a phone interview. And then eventually after this, that, and the other, uh, flew to New York City. Mm-hmm. They flew to New York City and interviewed face to face. And that close brother, because here's the deal, instead of you paying to go on medical mission trips and paying your way, um, they actually, if you sign up um, for like eight or you know 12 months, they uh, pay your transport and your living expenses there. And they give you, a stipend and it's not it's i'll tell you what it was it was about i think about twenty five hundred dollars a month okay uh to to be a physician in like some syrian refugee camp or in ukraine or somewhere like that and specifically at this time frame i was uh looking at syria okay, okay? uh because they're having the civil war there and they had lots of need and i had trauma experience and it just seemed like a good fit um and so that's why i was looking at that uh, and here's the catch at the last minute and this uh you know, it just is what it is. At the last minute, the guy said, well, you know, literally it's the last 10 minutes of the interview. I talked to him for about two hours there hmm. in my suit and everything, you know, I had a tie on the whole nine yards, you know, Manhattan. I was like, um, that's kind of interesting for me. So anyways, uh, he goes, well, you know, Sean, you know, you got to be able to go anywhere that we send you. You know, we're all over the world. It's not like you're signing up for one geographic location or, or job. I'm like, yeah, got it. I'm on it 100%, 100%. And he goes, you know, we are... Um, 
you know, an organization that's expanding our line of services. And one of the big services needed, especially in Africa, is um, women's reproductive health. And my hackles got up a little bit. I'm like, what? Yeah, basically, they want to be the kind of the Planned Parenthood of Africa. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, brother, that's that's not my thing. Right. That's 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 not going to work for me. And that was the end of it. Boom. Just like that. And so, you know, it was kind of uh, in one way, uh, you know, any kind of setback like that where you're like, ah, rats, I wasn't I was kind of hoping that would work out. And then obviously that's a big deal breaker kind of thing. But then very shortly thereafter, I got involved with another one called Samaritan's Purse, which there's a multitude of these organizations that can help go over places and serve. And that turned out to be a very good fit as well. Yeah. Uh, so that, and I went and did some things with them. So okay. anyways, that's kind of the background there. Yeah. So as you're talking there, I got a ton of questions. Oh, that yeah, I'm of thinking course. About, but I and I t- apologize. I, and I, no joke, I will try to uh have it a two-way street if you'll sure. give me an inch sometimes i'll take them on i'll try not to talk too much brother but go ahead no no i i like it we have nothing but time so all we can right, go on all the tangents we want to right. so it's it's all great yeah um so i'm going to try to remember a few of the questions that came oh, up sure. as you were talking there but i do want to take you back to the beginning you said you're a, a if, the, if you do have a superpower again trying to be human delayed you, gratification humble, have yeah. you always been that way or did the military teach you that yeah. or what, what so, was that so i was at the naval academy okay. and uh i no, I was a decent high school student, obviously, to get in there. Uh, but once I got to the Naval Academy, my dad, who was obviously a huge factor in my life and very high standards, if if you didn't have, if you weren't the honor roll, if you didn't have straight A's, you were basically grounded. You know, you could do your sports. You know, we always did sports, but but except for the sports, you couldn't do anything else outside the house unless you're on the honor roll. That was mm. the rules. So we obviously very kind of. Um, you know, foundational, hey, academics and, and high achieving is what's expected because, you know, it's just what's expected. So, but the day I started at the Naval Academy, he, he literally sat me down. You know, we had a father to son. He said, hey, hey, you're a man now. You know, you're in uniform. You're not under my roof. You know, it's all on you, whatever you want to do. And, you know, and that was a very much a cutting the uh, the strings kind of moment there. Of course, he loved me, and, you know, my mom and dad supporting all the stuff afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the love and stuff. But different mindset so i have to admit i went to the naval academy first year did pretty good as far as academically but i'll tell you another thing too is that it's kind of rigorous and i was playing rugby and doing other things and i have to admit my grades kind of slipped away uh so it's not like i blazed a trail of glory at the naval academy i like to say proudly i was in that half the class that makes the top half of the class possible okay they stand on our shoulders okay at the naval academy so anyways graduated service selection night as a senior at the naval academy it's in january each year uh at least back in the day and a lot of things i'll try not to say back in the day too much but this is 1980 uh 1988 okay Okay. so uh different navy entirely but it's it's very much um at least foundational i think how they do it they call you down to memorial hall one of the big you know places at the naval academy and they have service selection night and they have this order of merit which is kind of like your class rank 80% 80% of it probably is academic. And then 20% is your conduct grade and your athletic grade. And they grade a lot of different things. Um, and I have to admit, I had taken some hits on conduct. Okay, I'd done my share of like demerits and tours and things for, you know, the quote unquote crimes against humanity, you know, doing different things at the academy, which, you know, they found upon you get in trouble for. Sure. Uh, anyways, I was in that, you know, go down there for service selection night, kind of hoping for aviation like a lot of guys the top gun actually came out when i was at the naval academy if you might imagine hmm. how motivating it is to go out to the mall and see top gun with a bunch of like 20 year buddies who are all like 
in two years going to be doing that stuff for anyways and two guys ahead of me in the line they literally line you up and they call you down in groups of about 50 at a time and the last aviation spot went out two guys ahead of me so that service selection night all of a sudden becomes oh i'm not going to go to pensacola i'm not doing flight training i'm gonna what am i gonna do and you look up at this board and they have every ship that they have a spot for for a new ensign um and there was you know a ship in san diego uss england it's a guided missile cruiser and that's what i selected and that's what i got orders to then mm-hmm. but the very first day i reported on board so you know and that's okay it's a little setback there but the very first day i reported on board i talked to the skipper and this is a bad way you know not uh, how about this an unconventional way to start your naval career in your first conversation with your new boss and just to say hey uh sir i actually was trying to go aviation not surface navy and there's a board that meets every quarter in washington dc at you know uh now it's in tennessee i think but milpers man military personnel command and they have redesignation and typically what it is is a guy who's going from surface navy or nuclear power and now he wants to be a supply guy or an intel guy or different you know that you can change designator is what it's called your specialty if you will within the navy and it meets every quarter and you put in a package and my intention is to put in a package uh the and redesignate to try to go to pensacola now the for all these redesignation things you have to get your primary qualification first they've just given you orders to a ship and you've got to get your warfare qual and all of your your officer deck quals your steam plant qual all that just stuff and he just said he just looked me in the eye he goes, hey i'm on it he goes you work hard for me and i'll endorse anything like that sure. that, that meets your desires to try to further your crew plants and so um did it you know went to um you know that first ship uh, I, I went to the steam uh 1200 psi steam plant manager or engineering course they had the surface warfare course they had out in coronado there and then reported to my ship worked it hard everything the navy's people don't tell you this but it's kind of a pyramid scheme in that there is a definite um attrition as you go higher okay and some of it's natural guys getting out and doing other things and some of it's you know competitive where you've got to be ranked in your annual evaluations to be in other words to actually become the commanding officer of a naval warship right you've already proven yourself to be the number one division officer in your peer group and Mm -hmm. then the number one department head when you made that next level and then you were you know every step along the way you were kind of head and shoulders so that you would get promoted and eventually you become where you are a competitive you know the commanding officer so same same so i i got my quals fast i i got my uh uh recommendations all my you know everything how about this i was ranked one of you know the number one of like eight guys on in my peer group for that time and so eventually when i applied i got picked up Mm. and i uh, went down to pensacola and did that thing so the point was i didn't get winged until what july of 92 although i graduated in may of 88 and that was a period of you know kind of eyes on the prize trying to focus on how do i get down to pensacola and, and actually do aviation right now like a lot of things in life right your plans go astray but boy they're looking back especially i wouldn't give up a single hour or minute of that time on the uss england you know we did two uh deployments the persian gulf and some of my best memories in service and i've got lots of crazy experiences but some of my best were yeah you're the off the deck you're the the conning officer on the bridge of a of a warship in the persian gulf going through the straits of hormuz you can see the 
oil platforms. You know, you're the first deployment, the Iranians were the bad guys, and we were always looking out for the Iranians coming out for us. And the second deployment was Saddam Hussein had gone into Kuwait the first time, right? So the the night that Saddam invaded Kuwait, this is in August of, uh, would have been 1990, I suppose, um, we were on a standard pre-scheduled deployment to the Persian Gulf going through the Straits of Hormuz. So we had a very spicy deployment before the big buildup eventually, you know, they started the, the, you know, the retaking of Kuwait. But that first, you know, two or three months was kind of spicy, brother, and, and filled with a little bit of, because uh, we didn't know at that time, is he going to go into Saudi Arabia? Is, you know, he's crazy enough to invade another country. And he's had at that time, like, I don't know if, you know, you remember this, but Iraq at one point had the fourth largest army in the world, for goodness sake, you know, conventional as far as tanks and all that jazz. And they were a real threat, you know, perceived anyways. Right. You know, we, we tore them up eventually, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it was definitely kind of spicy. And, and I wouldn't give up any of those uh, experiences. Um, and this is, again, tangential. Yeah, it's perfect. I like it. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one more thing, too. <laughs> it's a different world now. Yeah. Um, and I'm not... I'm not saying it's a better world or a worse world. It's a different world, but they're definitely, I was in the all guy Navy, right? Yeah. So when you went on board the ship with 300 guys, it was like a fraternity, right? And the same, same when I went to the, eventually got winged and I was on a squadron and an aircraft carrier uh, for the first year and a half on board. It was still like a non integrated with females um, service, right? Yeah. So when you were on a guided missile cruiser, let's say with 300 guys, it's a very different environment than with co-ed experience, you know, mm-hmm. and it just, uh, you know, we want to give everybody opportunity on that chest, but it was just, I'll just say it, it was a very, very different environment where the fraternal organ, you know, the comradeship and the fraternity that you have there is just remarkable, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was just, uh, it was, I'll tell you what every young man these days needs, and I wish we could give everybody this chance and opportunity, but being an engineering plant guy in the Persian Gulf mm-hmm. with the water ambient temperature. You know, the steam cycle, you're relying on the ambient sea temperature to, as you're condensing in a medium. So the catch is, um, if the water temperature outside the ship is like 90 degrees, guess what? In the main steam plant, you'd go down there for your four-hour shift, and it was hot, dirty, miserable yeah. work. You know, it was like literally... Uh, you know, Dante's Inferno working in the steam plant, um, you know, and, and it builds character is the point, you know, that you get that under your belt and yeah, there's a season where you're like, this really isn't, you know, wonderful, but what choice you got, you got, uh, you're in the halfway around the world right. and, and it's your job and other guys are relying on you to do a good job at it. You can't just, you can't, oh, you're going to call in sick. No, you don't call in sick. You just keep working until you literally you know you just work it right right we'd start the shift with uh we'd go to dc central which is like the damage control central kind of like the nerve hub of of the steam plant and uh you'd get these like workman vests they're like uh highway worker vests mm-hmm. right like you see the guys wearing yellow vests in fact they were yellow and in the pockets you'd put these ice packs like you put in your lunch pail right you would put about four on the front you know and then four on the back and within an hour, you know, they'd be melted and they'd just be kind of cool, you know, lukewarm water. And by the end of your shift, you take the doggone thing off. But for the first hour or so, it helps you to you literally tolerate the working conditions because it was kind of hot, miserable, dirty. Right. Um, right. It's incidentally, just so that nobody gets a bad taste on the Navy, it's all gas turbines now and other type of mediums. You know, this is that whole steam plant, um, you know, is is 
the technology is different. My ship, you know, God lovers, you know, razor blades long ago, unfortunately, you know, it's just sad, you know, it's just seasons, mm-hmm. but it just uh, gives you an appreciation. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, went on there anyways, but delayed gratification, I guess was the start of this thing. And yeah, eventually I got picked up, went to Pensacola and then did the aviation thing, which is a whole nother pipeline, you know, but right. Go, go ahead, go. I want to get into the aviation yeah, yeah. thing, but first when you got into the Navy, you oh, went yeah. to the Academy, were you intending on having it be, uh, cause you said you were in it for 29 years. Is 29 that right? 29 years. So were you intending that or was so, it supposed to be a quick, you know, it's funny. I, I went to the Naval Academy. Um, my sister, uh, older sister. Um, and it's not only when I went to the Naval Academy, the year I started, right. Uh, summer of 1984, mm-hmm. uh, women had been at the Academy only, uh, let's see, they started in 76. So they'd only been there eight years, right? And so it was a relatively new thing. My sister was four years older than me. Let's say she graduated high school in 1980, let's say. And so she would have been like the fourth or fifth year starting at the Naval Academy. She was kind of recruited there. They, I remember as a junior high kid going with my sister and family down to the Annapolis. Uh, she was a very uh, good uh basketball player my sister was mm-hmm. and, uh, and the stature and all that jazz and she was interested in oceanography and things like that and so uh, at that point the uh, women graduating couldn't go in the combat specialties like they can now but there was differently fields within the navy that they could go into so she considered it hard and then eventually went a different path she became a physical therapist and and praise god for that because i met my wife through my sister eventually mm-hmm. and that's all how that worked but so that's the initial idea was okay I'd seen the Naval Academy. I was very impressed. And then I was a pretty conservative, straight-laced guy. And this was during the Reagan years. You know, uh, my high school four years were his first term. My college, you know, if you will, if, if you call it that, the Naval Academy, were his last four years. So it was a very conservative time, and I was a conservative kind of guy. I went there with an open mind. Um, yeah, well, and in fact, my guidance counselor on when I got accepted, you know, started calling me Admiral, right? Mm-hmm. Even before I started, you know, first day, Admiral, oh, hey, Admiral. Right. And it wasn't like out of the question, but um, once you get in, um, you know, it, it was definitely probably, how about this? It was in the realm of staying career Navy and trying to make your way up that pyramid that I spoke of previously, yeah. up until probably the time I got into aviation. And I can go into the why fours and wherefores there, but there definitely was like, how about this? Having the previous surface warfare qualification and my warfare qual and that exposure and experience was an asset, not a liability transferring over to aviation if I wanted to stay career and be like a, you know, a big shot in the Navy. Sure. If right. that makes sense. That wasn't, and, and when I made that transition, it definitely was with the idea, oh, I can make this a career still maybe, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, as far as on the warfare side, yeah. Uh, and notice medicine's not even in the realm at that point. Okay. But, but no. it was definitely still one of those things where it was in the possibilities. Yeah. Then you had mentioned Top Gun. Are you oh, from yeah. this area originally? No, no. I'm from a small, very small town in Pennsylvania, uh, okay. St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, up in the Allegheny National Forest. So more trees, more hills, less water is how I describe sure. it, but just about as much snow actually. Oh, okay. You get the lake effect off the, you know, so it's it's very similar in some regards okay. that's one of the reasons we you know, like to come up this way but we're not from this way initially okay the reason i ask is i never even watched top gun which i need to oh yeah the uh, original though or the, the new one the, they got the new one i want to watch the old one even, yeah the yeah original, exactly because the old the actor the bald-headed guy yeah. is, from, is from calumet did you know that i did not know that you yeah. mean that like the carrier air group commander guy i know who you're speaking uh, yeah of. i couldn't even tell you i All watched right, a preview yeah. i think there's a bald-headed guy yeah, does he say right. no slackers maybe yeah, or something yeah, like that's that right. <laughs> 
outstanding. I didn't know that. That's that's He's really from Calumet, cool. Yeah, that's outstanding, and and that's that's really cool. Right. Um. Yeah. That was that was you know back in the day and and all that jazz. But yeah. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> so I, I was curious, but so eventually I want to I want to stick on the military track if you don't mind. Eventually, oh, sure. I ask you how did you find the UP and how yeah, did this yeah, come of to course, be? Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um. So you went to the aviation portion. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, completely different. Completely okay. different. So, um. And in a good way, you yeah. know, uh, flight training and stuff down Pensacola, uh, very cool. I uh, did not and do not have 2020 vision. So in naval aviation, you got pilots and NFOs, naval flight officers. So in the Air Force, they call them like WIZOs. In the Navy, navigator weapon systems guys are um, NFOs, naval flight officers. So that was my path, okay. And even that path from from pilot to NFO probably transitioned in about third year of the naval academy my vision went a little bit it's because you got to be 2020 and, and they didn't have lasix or any of that fancy stuff back then anyways went down to pensacola got um did the training uh interesting training and this is more like just a i don't know if they still do it this way but definitely eye-opening for most people you talk to uh very competitive you need a 90 to pass not like a not a not an 80 not a 70 there's lots of like uh you know aeronautics and uh the engineering and uh weather and a bunch of different courses you take on the ground school part but every ground school test you take even before you get into the simulators you got to pass with 90 or above which was a totally different standard right it's like holy cow they they're they mean it and they will attract you they'll they'll just send you oh you sorry didn't work out and they'll send you back to the fleet they call it you know because hmm. they still need guys out there so a little different standard. Um, did the helo dunker and all that just a lot more like physical. Like in the surface Navy, there wasn't that element of physicality where they really expect you to be in pretty doggone good shape, right? And they definitely, on the aviation side, that was more of it because especially if you're going to go to a performance aircraft, yeah, your your physical ability makes a difference. So there was much more like, you know, obstacle course and the, and the swimming features and the helo dunker and things like that that are kind of challenging. Um eventually um finishing they have like basic and then uh, intermediate and then advanced did the advanced and got orders to prowlers so prowlers there's uh, very nfo or naval flight officer friendly communities within aviation and let's say this like obviously the worst community would be like f-18s when they were single seat there's there's no nfo right there's mm -hmm. just a single pilot single seat pilot uh how about um uh, f-14s f-14s back in the day now they're retired but You'd have the Rio, which is like Goose and Top Gun, and then the pilot. And of course, you're almost like a second-class citizen in the back there sometimes, or at least seen as that sometimes. The community that the NFO, Navigator Weapon Systems guy, really shines is uh, the old Prowlers. I was a EA-6B Prowler NFO, which is electronic warfare. Uh, the, the technical term is like SEAD, Suppression of Enemy Air Defenses. The military is huge on acronyms. I apologize. Right. If I drop too many, let me know. Yeah. But SEAD is Suppression of Enemy Air Defenses. And what you do in this aircraft it's carrier base but you fly off the carrier and you've got a big receiving unit in the aircraft where you can detect enemy transmissions mostly radars but uh and communications too but but mostly radars you identify oh what radar is that and then you locate it where the dickens it is and then in a wartime setting you can either neutralize it by jamming or shooting it with a missile uh, one or the other and admittedly you know 90 percent is more surveillance and kind of like all right where's the bad guy and what are they doing um and then very 
you know, in a worse time setting, of course, you get a little bit more aggressive and it becomes Iron Hand. Iron mm. Hand is taken, and those, that's the name of a mission where you're flying specifically to take down the enemy air defenses. Like going into Iraq back mm-hmm. in the day, they had this very well-organized, you know, Soviet-based air defense system with surface-to-air missile batteries all over the place. And that there's a very, you know, it's it's uh, tactics and strategy, how to take that down so you minimize the losses so the air packages can go in and drop their bombs and do their thing. Anyway, so I uh, became a Prowler guy, which was very, very good fit for me. Um, it is... Uh, rotating you got four guys you got the pilot in the front left you got a navigator weapons panel communications guy in the front right and who's an nfo and then the two guys in the back electronic warfare specialists who are you have this big computer in front of you and you have got like an old school o scope if you ever seen or heard that that's that's back from like the 60s some of the technology we used wasn't you know uh by any they'd be laughed at now but but it does the job Mm -hmm. and part of your training after you get winged is you go into electronic warfare kind of specialty training and they lock you in the cement building literally down in pensacola where you memorize a small phone book of frequencies and prfs and uh uh, every radar has a fingerprint that's unique to that radar and uh radars operate in families for example a radar based on its physical dimensions and physical structure is better at certain tasks, long range search. But of course that long range search won't give you that precision point, uh, precision location that a target tracker or fire control radar will, right? Mm-hmm. So they operate in families. You can detect these long range radars and they're much easier to jam because of just their nature of how they spread their electrons and what they do and you can get into them and jam them much easier. But then of course, they're kind of like the big lookout and then they pass their information to their accompanying target Mm. trackers and missile guidance radars and they're much more like looking at you if you're an aircraft like through a straw Mm -hmm. so obviously they can't operate independently they can't do anything to find the the enemy looking at the sky through a straw right that's why you gotta you know uh figure them out but they're much easier to shoot and destroy with missiles uh so that's kind of the, the package there anyways uh did the uh, electronic warfare training out to Whidbey Island and then over to Japan. That was mm-hmm. the other weird thing. I got deployed on board USS Independence, which was the carrier forward base in Japan. The air wing was out of Itsugi base, but we lived in Japan for four years, which was a real kick in the head too. That was pretty cool. Right, right. The And then eventually medicine came into the picture while you're in the military? True, true. Okay. So I mentioned that had kind of a paradigm shift when I was in aviation. A bunch of it was... Um, I kind of was seeing the handwriting on the wall that I mentioned this pyramid scheme that there were definitely guys who were smarter than me and doing better than me. I think in the squadron, as far as like, it's, um, it's not, um, you know, hidden from anybody who's like the star players. Right. And whether, you know, and I'll just tell you, um, it's a different world, uh, than other places in the back of the ready room. This is for the pilots and every ready room they would have, uh, their, their, they're they are literally graded on every time they come aboard the boat. When they come aboard and trap, they are graded by the landing signal officer and given a score, mm-hmm. and you know good passer or not, and based on how well they were able to follow glide scope and get on board and all that jazz. And if they get waved off, of course that's a that's a black mark. And if they you know have to bolt or they miss the wire or something, that's a black mark. But it's literally day by day your name and and they would put the guys in the squadron. 
uh, ranked by who was best and who was the worst. And you would see every day who's right. the worst pilot we have and who's the best pilot we have. And it wasn't like some code number, oh, number 65, and he, only he knows. No, it's like, no, that's that's Mike. Right. And, and Mike is the third best guy. And, oh, Bob is number two. And, oh, yeah, Joel, he's number six. He kind of, you know, oh, dear. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. It, it, yeah. It's very interesting. Anyways, but you could see pretty quick that that wasn't working. But I'll tell you the honest God truth. I had some pretty big life-changing things. And this gets back to the whole philosophy, yeah. theology aspect. I, I don't want to get too deep on you, but I was involved in a near midair over Saudi. We're, you, as soon as you launch on a mission, we were doing a Southern Watch. So my time in Persian Gulf flying um, against Iraq, it was after the first Kuwait war, but before the next big push, you know, with George Bush later on, right? So we, there was this period from like 92 to, to 03 for what, about 10, 11 years where we operated a, a no-fly zone in the southern portion of Iraq, the southern half of Iraq, essentially from back down south. And the idea being that, oh, we don't want them flying to threaten the Kuwait. And um, it was interesting time. Um, we were doing a lot of very aggressive, I'll just be honest, we were very aggressive flying. And mm -hmm. in terms of you launch a package, first thing you do is you go over to Saudi and you tank, they got these KC-10 uh, big Air Force tankers flying in big lazy loops that are like 20, 30 miles long and you tank, get a full load. Uh, and then you'd zorch into Iraq with your package. And what we would try to do is either uh, condition the Iraqis into accepting an extremely hostile threat package coming right down their throat mm -hmm. or, or, and uh, we're all like young, healthy, macho guys. So we, or yeah, or try to defend yourself. But the rules of engagement w were, if they light you up with their fire control radars, oh, that's an act of war. Mm -hmm. So we get to shoot them and, and do like, actually drop our bombs and and do the thing that we've been trained for, for years. And everybody, everybody launching was, I gotta admit, kinda, kinda hoping for plan B. They were, mm -hmm. we were kinda hoping for them to show us something, anything that we could use to kind of um, instigate like, a, you know, kinda, hostile like actually dropping hard ordinance you know right and and the whole 10 years i think we there's maybe two or three times that occurred most of the iraqis knew that you know you you dare to turn on the fire control radar or do anything to kind of defend but what you're conditioning them to accept is this strike package coming right down their throat every time to the point where they can't really do much about it and it was weird because we would um you know map them very aggressively where their batteries were their missile batteries and where their things were and every single mission that you flew over iraq uh it was intel gathering in a big way 
Um, and I'll tell you the truth, it's uh, kind of sad and kind of poignant because uh, we'd look down, uh, mo most of these are at night. Uh, the carrier I was on, we lived a very kind of vampirish uh, existence where we wouldn't start flight ops until about uh, one or two in the afternoon. You'd fly until about three or four in the morning kind of thing. So a lot of the operations at night. But the point being that you'd look down from like 20,000 feet. And at this point, Saddam Hussein was still in power. And with the whole war in Kuwait, he was trying to still consolidate and control his population. Of course, very tribal environment over there. And the people down in the uh, wetlands down by Basra were having kind of a rebellion. Hmm. And so what we witnessed night after night was the Saddam Iraqi forces um, kind of throwing artillery at their own villages and people and trying to wipe out they, they had definite offensives at that time to um you know wipe out anybody that was rebellion against them and you know it's not like we kind of you know we didn't defend those but we would definitely see these mm -hmm. activities in, uh, occurring anyways to get back to your question brother and i'm sorry for the round no, loop, I, loop it's all good okay oh, so yeah. um one night in particular had a near midair over saudi where we flew uh, standard you know you launch you go out and we're trying to find a tanker and they're at an altitude that's known and we're supposed to approach at an altitude that's known you get visual confirmation oh there they are and then you 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 join on in on them and you, you tank and uh, the debugger was that night in particular the weather was just just ridiculous it was bad and uh unlike a lot of the fighters we don't really have an uh, air to air search radar we have uh we have an air to ground radar in the prowler but and we can we could try to use that a little bit but we're trying to join up on a tank that we can't see and eventually the AWACS who's controlling everything from afar they're like hey that obviously that particular altitude's not going to work because it's just all clobbered so you go to this altitude and join up and the the bugger was of course the, the tanker is going to that altitude and we're going to that altitude kind of simultaneous and it's a big sky and most of the times nothing happens but that night in particular it was woo it was uh it was you know you can call it a near-death experience and if sure. you've never had one you know there's a good country western song you know live like you're dying and that's a great song because it's very true it's like everybody should have that kind of like oh i am dying right i'm i'm not coming back from this flight i'm done i am this is death okay this is how i died tonight because it was that close and it was like uh very sobering right you're it talking kinda, the planes almost yeah each other or yeah okay, exactly yeah. and it was uh as we're coming to, together, this big, big KC-10 tanker and us, you know, almost, you know, basically traded paint and it, it would have been very bad, right? Yeah. And and it was close enough, I could see rivets, right? You know, you see rivets on another aircraft that isn't your aircraft, that's that's a bad thing. Yeah. And the turbulence and just, it was it was sketchy, right? So after that night, uh, there was some deep thinking, you know, yeah. and, and that probably led a little bit to the path of medicine, right? Huh. Uh, that, and like I said, the other thing with the, uh, just seeing the handwriting on the wall that it wasn't going to go, but that definitely had a, a part of it as far as, oh, how can I, you know, how about this? Everybody's hourglass is ticking, yours and mine, both mm -hmm. brothers. We sit here, right? It's ticking, it's dripping, the sand's going through. So uh, it is nice every now and then to have a wake up call like that and go, okay, how am I using those other grains that remain? You know, and am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing here in this limited time that I got, right? So, um, so then started pursuing the medicine at that point. Okay, and you said you won't go too deep on the on the philosophy side or whatever oh, yeah, else, yeah. but even for me, like the lots, well, a ton of this is about is the psychology. Oh, and sure. Even asking those big questions of like, oh, what am I looking for out of life? Where am Absolutely. I at? What have I been thinking? 
to Very me, true. such a huge benefit in doing that. Absolutely true. Because so, so many people live an unexamined life. And, yeah. and life is, it's like so many people, you know, God love them, but they, they go through and they consume, you know, the mass production uh, media. And, um, you know, if you don't have foundational, you know, fundamentals in place as far as who am I? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? Who, where did I come from? Where am I going? I mean, you can be, first of all, you can be much more easily manipulated than people are, of course. And then mm-hmm. the second thing is, um, yeah, let's say that's, that's, that's foundational, right? That's, that's very foundational. Right. Um, but I'm curious, have you, and I mean, even think about myself, I can't tell you when I started thinking this way. It yeah. seems like my whole life, but anyways, I'm curious for you, were you always that way or was it some of those military experiences that taught you to um, so think that way? And not to get too theological, but I'll get a yeah. little theological. I was, I was raised Catholic with my family and, but it was definitely like a, I think my dad went to church on Easter Sunday, you know, uh, and that was about it. And it was very much like um, not a big component of our lives and, and very formulaic, you know, we went to church and stuff at the, uh, at the Naval Academy. It's interesting. I had a little personal revival cause, okay. um, I had a kind of a hard time at one point and I remember going for a walk and just literally, literally, uh, getting down on my hands and knees and saying, ah, oh, you know, I need help. This is, you know, I'm not going to make this. Uh, and, I like to say this is that it's a God's honest truth. Like a week later, I met my wife. Okay. Mm. So that was like God's answer prayer, right? You know, cause then with that, cause she's, you know, of course, so squared away. And so it always has been and very much more like such a good influence to like, to help you with that kind of stuff, help you answer the big questions. And mm-hmm. so, so a little revival, um, as far as, um, theologically, eventually, uh, we'd be kind of, left the Catholic faith and kind of became non-denominational, almost like, I hate to call ourselves rogue Christians, but kind of rogue Christians. We'd go sure. where the Christians best. And I'll, and I'll tell you, a lot of the, the reading and uh, influences I've had are much more along the time, uh, the lines of uh, theologically based, like C.S. Lewis. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a theologian, Greg Bonson. He's the big apologetics guy. He was in the Orthodox, like Lutheran church back in the day. Um, Francis Chan, a bunch, bunch of different folks like that who kind of focus on these big things and they help you to to try to figure these things out um i wish i could tell you that i was you know more consistent definitely there's peaks and valleys based on the the ebb and flow of your life you know i, I try to start the day every day driving up the hill with prayers you know prayer yeah. for my uh family you know i try to use the time i never turn the radio on i always try to like just try to focus on all right how um who needs what prayer wise today and and try to just first of all give thanks for what i've gotten and and what i've been uh gifted and, and just and what i can do and i pray for my patients you know every day um that's usually on the way home but um yeah. I, well I'm, yeah. I'm not joking you know because yeah. i'm like hey you know cause people they they don't ask to come to the freaking hospital right they, they're usually there for uh, i mean there's some good things you know babies and happy stuff but yeah. but even that can be spicy sometimes but most people, most days, you know, don't wake up and go, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get, you know, this operation. Yay, hooray. Right. It's most of the time something that was kind of thrust upon them. And so, you know, that's that's nice to, to, to figure that stuff out as well. Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, that was a big part of it. How can you maximize your serve? And I figured medicine's a good way to do that. Um, I will confess to you, <laughs> okay, my dad was a pharmacist, little small town drugstore guy, right? 
And initially, I'm like, he was very well respected. He yeah. touched many people's lives. They've done multiple studies and surveys and polls. And the most trusted guy in a town, typically, it's not, um, it's not a doctor. It's not a, a clergy. It's uh, usually the pharmacist. The sure. pharmacist has, you know, um, you know, they're just seen as what they are, which is a pillar of the society that they have a sacred trust to. Uh, first of all, do their job right so they're not poisoning you. But second of all, they know a lot about you based yeah. on what meds you're taking and to keep that sacred trust, you know, um, inviolate and quiet, you know. And anyways, my dad was a pillar of society. So I'll, I'll confess to you, my initial impetus was, okay, I will get out of the Navy and I'll go to pharmacy school. And I actually uh, went over to Ferris State up here and applied in University of Rhode Island. My, my shore tour following my aviation time was up in Newport, Rhode Island, specifically because University of Rhode Island there has a pharmacy school, and we got a place about within walking distance, easily within biking and a long walk, within about a mile and a half of the place so that I could go on campus full-time. After I left the Navy, after the short tour, you know, in theory at that time, I would, I'd go to pharmacy school there. And of course, they just laughed at me, and, and Ferris State just laughed at me because I already mentioned I was in the bottom half of my class at the Naval Academy, and pharmacy school is very challenging to get into of course they're mm-hmm. they're like real they they <laughs> they want you to be smart okay right and i won't say that md's programs aren't but um i was recommended hey well why don't you take your mcat and uh, that's like your sat for medical school and medical schools are funny they like the non-traditional guys who've done non-traditional things so i applied i mentioned the delayed gratification it took me about two or three years of doing my night classes and saturday classes to get all my prereqs done and again, uh, with a wife and little kids and all that jazz and all the stuff that goes with that. Um, and, and God love her just for the patience with that. I got waitlisted the first year and told, you know, hey, pack sand, we don't want you. And mm. uh, so then it's like, wow, what do you do with that? You know, and you keep plugging, keep trying, keep working. And I got in the next year. So at 33, I went to medical school. And again, the ultimate irony after telling you the pharmacy bit is that all I do all day is applied pharmacology. That's my job, right? Is right. applied pharmacology to have real-time physiology to optimize patients' outcomes and, and try to serve them, you know? Right, um, right. So kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Can you, do, do you feel that story where you were on your knees and you oh, met yeah. your wife a week later? Oh, that, yeah, yeah. That do you feel comfortable on? Uh, oh, sure. What What was the struggle you were going with when you said, hey, I need help, I can't make this? Are you talking it was so it was too difficult on a on a physical and an intellectual level or were you struggling personally or what so, was it? Um, Whew, I'll try to get through this without uh, getting too emotional. But yeah, I was, um, so I mentioned to you briefly, I was in the rugby organization and uh, I was definitely, one of the reasons I think I even joined the rugby organization there at the Naval Academy is that they're not NCAA. You pay club dues, but you're still intercollegiate. You go to University of Maryland up and down the East Coast doing all kinds of rugby. And it's obviously the same kind of idea. It's a fraternity of guys and it's kind of, rough guys doing rough things and yeah. i have to admit um that you know uh drinking is a big element to that right sure. and um i was definitely indulging too much on that and to the point where it was affecting everything everything so part of it was um hey uh help me with that god too uh how about this without getting into too many details i mentioned yeah. i didn't have the most stellar uh conduct record at the academy and that played a role in that but also um as an indicator, and man, this is Sharon Lop, but I'll tell you, like you've heard of interventions, right? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, at one point, my buddies at the Naval Academy kind of pulled me aside and said, oh, we're, we're concerned about your drinking, right? Yeah. And these are young, healthy rugby guys, right, who drink, right? So it's like not necessarily, um, in other words, these aren't choir boys necessarily, right? So, um, you know, there's an element to my family. My grandma had a hard time with alcohol issues. So I think uh, if you ever do, um, no, I'm not in, in AA or nothing, but uh, if you ever look at that program, there's an element of uh, the theological side of asking for higher um, higher guidance, higher love. And, and it was definitely no joke. That was part of it. I was, I was falling apart. I was probably very close to getting kicked out of the Naval Academy for that constellation of uh, drinking, affecting conduct and grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, not thriving in any sense. I was not being... Uh, looking back now, of course, it's horrifying. You know, the missed potential that, that I could be doing this and that and the other. Yeah. But it was definitely that constellation at that point that was uh, driving me into a, a bad, dark place. And so this was literally going out in a field the night, you know, and just asking God, help me. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I feel like I'm somewhat familiar, but what's the story of the prodigal son? I don't, sure. Is that? Uh, so a little bit. I, I don't know if that, um, applies as much okay. okay but but i but i can talk about that about okay. what coming back you know to there's there's elements of that where the story is actually not about the son but about the other brother who okay. stayed true okay but but i won't get into that as yeah. far as if you want to look at that in other words um the, the prodigal son of course gets the inheritance and goes and you know pisses it away on wine women and song and then eventually you know he's uh being you know, eating less than the pigs that his father has. And, you know, he sees the light and comes back and asks for forgiveness. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's directly applicable in that it was um, definitely, how about this? I, I reached like a nader, that's for sure. And I think people need that sometimes, or how about this? As long as they can survive the nader, you know, as long as you can see the light and then go, Oh, this is not, great um any kind of problem that you have it goes much better right if you can identify i have a problem it's the people that don't acknowledge that they have a problem that's that's probably the worst right right uh so they're definitely um how about this i just through grace and grace alone is what i'd like to say as far as like i i didn't deserve uh to meet my wife i I still don't deserve her to be in my life i mean Mm -hmm. she's a mag she's amazing but the um the elements of um, acknowledging God, acknowledging your weakness, acknowledging, help me, God, please. Yeah. That's a big deal. Are you familiar? It brings up a few questions. And again, we want, I want to get back to the story in a oh, bit. Oh, sure. Yeah, so let me course. know if I'm going to no, areas no, no, that no. we're this not. Is anything you like. Okay. okay. I got a warning though. You know, I'm a sensitive, yeah. touchy feely guy. And you're bringing up memories that are like, obviously a little sensitive, right? To yeah. even, um, you know, and again, I'll try to compartmentalize as best I can. Lots of, uh, but you know, even thinking about that, my crazy near midair, or or again that night in the field at yeah. the naval academy, it, it makes me very soft. Okay, very hard. I, I get choked up a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate it. If you're okay. comfortable with that, to oh, me yeah, again, sure. it's it's about thinking about intensely about your life, also yeah. reflecting on it. There's Huge. healing in that. There's right. I don't know. It's all right. so. Don't don't apologize as long as you're comfortable with it. I'm I'm good with that. But right. for for a few things that makes me think of is one. I guess there's so many tangents even, but I'll, yeah. I'll just try to break a few of them down right yeah, now. I was thinking, no, no, it, I really, I, 
that's what I'm here for. Okay. Honestly, that okay. what you're going down this whole bit and exploring that and Hey, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Sure. Like that is the epitome of what I want, what I started this for. Oh, so okay. it's absolutely perfect. Awesome. Um, but for me, the obsessed podcast, right? There's oh, yeah. a, there's a negative component to the obsession, yeah, there right? Is. There can be because yeah. like in everything you need balance, right? Right. Well, let's say this and I've treaded that line yeah. both here and before, right? Like I mentioned, I had a wife. So the day I started medical school, right? I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a uh, two-year-old, and a newborn. Yeah. My, my daughter was born May 11th, and I started medical school in August, right? Yeah. What kind of knucklehead does that to his family, right? Right. It's, it's like uh, medical school is no joke. And, and I'll tell you what it is. It's... It's not, and thank God, one of the reasons I did go that path is that I knew from what everybody had told me that it's not hard, it's just volume. Yeah. I'm like, well, I got volume. I can do that. Because I already mentioned, it's like, whether it's on the ship or in the airplanes or anywhere, it's never, you know, the smartness thing. It's just the power through. Just mm-hmm. do it when put in the extra hours and you get it done. Right. So I knew I could do the hours. But of course, that balance of okay family and bruce had mentioned that actually too yeah. when he was on here he's my brother bruce and very smart i'm i respect the dickens out of him of course i love my my buddy but here's the catch you know you got to strike that balance and how do you strike that balance and your um mindset of sacrifice there's an element of self-sacrifice but then you're imposing that sacrifice onto others right, right, right. so what do you do with that um the whole military career uh, it was, I will just confess to you, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Every deployment, every single deployment, every time I went away for months and months, I worked hard. I served with a band of brothers who were like tight. Oh my goodness, tight, right? Mm-hmm. And you get to know each other and you do very interesting, very challenging things and very challenging conditions. Uh, on the warfare side was one thing. Eventually I did like three long medical deployments, like in our, two in Iraq and one in Afghanistan where it's the same kind of concept. But no joke, it comes at a price. And the price is the family. The price mm-hmm. is what they're sacrificing for you. So it's imperative, obviously, to choose wisely up front with the wife who is strong and who kind of gets that and is, by her nature, also in simpatico, in in in, um, in congruence with your ideas in terms of we're here to sacrificially serve others and 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 that's a big part of like who we are and why we're here and what God calls us to do. Right. Um, and I, I mentioned she's done mission trips and and uh, she's paid a price. You know, she on a mission trip to Mexico, she spent a, a few months down in Mexico and you know remote. And you go to this little village and she was helping these people. And of course, uh, literally, it's one of these places. You, there's no car and you got to walk in there and all that jazz. But after helping these people, of course. They have put out a big spread of their only way of saying thanks. They they don't pay nothing. They but at the end they have a big little lunch thing they put out, mm-hmm. and they say one thing: don't eat and don't drink nothing that's in this village, right? Because you're going to get sick. But you've just helped these people. It's their way of showing, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right. And I think everybody partook, and and she got pretty, you know, sick, and with with some sequela from that, you know, that that lasts to this day. So it's like um, the self sacrifice. Uh, has to be at least accepted at some level in mm-hmm. your mindset in, in your in your worldview how about that okay right. Right. so that's that's how that goes 
Uh, but, but like everything, it's a balance, right? Like it's a balance of, let's say you start your day, like a normal average day up at the, up on the hill here, working at the hospital. There has to be a balance of humility and confidence. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm confident that I know what I'm doing, but I've always got the humility, hopefully that, Oh, is this something unusual or something that is outside of something that I've experienced before? It's that constant balance of humility with confidence that, that makes you a good provider or a good person in life, no matter what the Dickens you're doing. Right. Same, same, that balance of self-sacrifice, but you don't, and here's the catch. You don't want to look at yourself as a martyr and, oh, you know, cry for me because I, I did X, Y, or Z. That shouldn't be your motivation. It should truly right. be like, a, how can I use uh, those sands in the hourglass? Because, man, they're going fast. They're yeah. going fast um, to optimize and do the things that God's put me on earth to do, right? Um, and it comes with a, it absolutely, of course, it comes with a cost, right? You know, there's a huge cost there. Yeah. Uh, for my family, the military deployments were, you know, ridiculous, right? Of course, my wife, good, strong wife, she, we homeschooled all six of our kids. Yeah. And uh, she, um, of course, I've moved her how many times? All the times, right? And it's just miserable for, uh, she's had no ability to put down roots that, you know, um, that I think most people, most families, most women want to have, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's very challenging, very hard. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a balance. Yeah. I want to ask you yes, eventually sir. a few things about, because I, I have three little ones at home oh, sure. and I'm trying to balance the like that part of life, but I'm going to yeah. hold that off for a bit. Yeah. Because um, uh, uh, two things I want to get into. Are you familiar? And I talk about them all the time. You're familiar with Jordan Peterson? Oh, of course. Psychologist. And you, we, saw, we saw him in Chicago. Yeah, great. Did you? Yeah, of course. Uh, read, read his books and all that jazz. Yeah. Okay. Have you read his 12 rules for life? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Outstanding. Of course. Um, yeah. So he has the 12 rules, which are super engaging and they're, they're psycho yeah, yeah. with a psychological and a philosoph philosophical True. background, right? Yeah. But at the end of it, you remember the pen of light? chapter um uh, yeah. his friend had a light with a pen on the end of it mm -hmm. and he thought this is interesting on a metaphorical level i'm going to write down these kind of questions you're asking yourself the biggest and toughest questions you can think of and i don't remember the question he asked other than it was along the lines of like what do i need to do with my life and the yeah. response i don't remember word for word was basically do the greatest amount of good in the shortest amount of time for the greatest amount of people possible yeah. right yeah so i'm just curious for you and I eventually want to ask a different question about him, but I'm curious for yeah. you, is that kind of the mindset you have with the, your, like your big why behind the that's exactly anesthesiologist? It. That's and, exactly it. Okay. Uh, you know, there's so much hurt in the world, so much pain in the world, so much, and I'll say it, so much sin in the world, so much, so it's, it behooves us, um, and again, to get theological, to reflect God's light to others by, you know, there's, uh, I, I love this phrase that, you know, always be preaching the gospel and sometimes use words, right? In sure. other words, you're, by what you're doing and what you're, how you're doing it, uh, and you're trying, at least, and the ladies up the hospital tell you, I, and I try, and sometimes you get laughs, sometimes they, you know, at this point they kind of roll their eyes, but I try to be their joyful servant. That's yeah. my whole mantra. It's like, all right, can you be the joyful servant? And yeah, at two in the morning when you get called in or whatever time, right? Because a joyful servant means you're you're a servant but servant for the right reasons and the reasons you're not trying to be a martyr you're not trying to win points with god because that that don't work either you know right. that's that's kind of ridiculous you know it's like uh that's always like the the classic you know the the little boy who asks his dad for five bucks so that he can get him his dad a birthday gift right it's yeah. like you know you're not giving god nothing that he didn't give you in the first place right so it's definitely why are you doing what you're doing? But but being the joyful servant is, I think, is what we're called to do and be. Okay. And uh, that's that's huge, of course. 
Yeah. And you talked about, again, tying it back into the story of you on your knees and meeting your wife a week later. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we talked about how on the, the, with the obsessed podcast, there's a negative component. And I've I've talked about it quite a bit on here where there's the balance, right? That I think it's, it's what made you great at medical school. It's what makes you awesome at what you're doing and work for three years, whatever else. But that same attribute and that same mindset applied to the wrong thing could be detrimental right yeah, I mean, and and very fast right oh sure there's probably a reason that you are great at what you do oh. but also you were having struggles at that time right yeah uh i i'm a huge fan of two different things of every now and then a good dose of humiliation because yeah. to bring you down because again what is the element the essential element of every sin every sin can be boiled down to pride yeah we're basically I mean, I don't care what whether the sin is lost or, or overconsumption or whatever the dickens you want to say, or even like lying or you know murder or any any sin as mm-hmm. at its element is pride, uh, and so it is nice every now and then not to get too cocky, right? Not to get too prideful. And I'm going to tell you a quick a quick tangential yeah. story. I'm in Japan, yeah. right? And I got to admit, I'm kind of feeling kind of I'm finally in my fleet squadron, and uh, I've been flying off a, a no kidding you know carrier and you strap on a g-suit and you strap into an aircraft that's like you know millions of dollars of technology and you go off the pointy end and you're like it's every kid's dream right you feel like and there's and uh you feel like yeah i'm i'm, I'm all that right mm-hmm. and it's awesome i tell the story uh so great beat down everybody needs a great beat down i'm a, i'm I'm riding my bike to work, okay, in the morning in Japan. And uh, there's rules in the Navy for riding a bike, like there's rules for everything. And riding on base, you got to have a helmet, you got to have a little flag, you got to have a vest, you got to have a light, you got to have this, that, and the other. Well, in Japan, every single person's got a bike and ride. They have, there's parking lots of bicycles, right? And kids from the time they can walk are riding a bike. And, and it's like just ubiquitous, right? And so my very first morning riding my bike into the base, okay, it's like a 10K like bike ride. I got my helmet and I got my vest and I got my flag and I got my light and I'm Billy Bad. Uh, I'm a you know right. I'm feeling pretty good about myself or you know big tough guy. And as I'm riding my bike down the street, little groups of Japanese schoolgirls who are getting ready for school, literally, um, you know, in groups gathered and pointing at me and laughing so hard at this strange clown you know show this this ridiculous clown show riding down the bike uh street and i have to admit um as a guy with at that point maybe a a little bit higher self-esteem than i should have yeah it was very therapeutic to go like yeah that's right Right. You are a clown, okay? Yeah. You're, you're, you're like just, just, just. You know what I mean? Uh, it was a very appropriate thing at the appropriate amount of time. Yeah. Um, I will say this in a loving, wonderful way. It's so good to have. That's why a good wife is a good thing that can bring you down sometimes, and yeah. not in a bad way. Not, yeah. not in a bad way, but just to kind of make you go, hey, you know, you know, it's, you know, it, it's in a very positive way. It's nice to be balanced by a wife who can also do that as well, yeah. if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, I, and there's a part of me that even craves that. So I have that with my wife. She'll yeah. tell me when I'm being a, a, yeah. a, a yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but there's a part of me that misses that. When we were kids, oh, yeah. right? Young boys from like 10 to 16, if you right. got, if, you're, if your head was too big, you found out, you yeah. know what I mean? Like the, your buddies are there to tell you what's going on, man. Like That is very true. So I You don't ever get that anymore. That is very true. And I'll, yeah. it's a sad thing. I'll tell you. The, the military I was in, you know, when I joined was very, you know, the cult of male patriarchy or, you know, yeah. toxic masculinity and all that just, yeah, okay, maybe, but it was, I'll tell you what, it was effective and it was a great place to be. Oh my God. Right. It was so nice to, 
literally work with guys and yeah and there were fights there were physical fights and and guys got over it because guys do there was harsh words and it wasn't all like peaches and cream and everybody patting each other on the back it was hard work and there was this element of competition Mm -hmm. right i already mentioned the little pyramid scheme where you are literally trying to outwork the other guys you're working with so that you'll get a higher ranking every every single report that you get it's not oh gold star you did good it's on a group of eight that are your colleagues, where do you rank? Right. And they put you number one, number two, down yeah. to number eight. And number number eight gets out of the Navy pretty quick, right? So, uh, but I do miss that, that that uh, camaraderie, that um, that element of just, like you said, there is something obviously that we've lost to that. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's nice that people have opportunities and I'm glad that my daughter, if she wants to be a fighter pilot, can do everything that's required, become a fighter pilot, good on her, that's good. Yeah. But boy, we still miss that element in, of, you know, of, of something that was lost back in the day. You know, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And, and to me, it's, uh, is it even a back in the day thing or is it an age thing? Right. Yeah. Like there's a, when you're 10 to 18, you are going to go to blows with a guy and yeah. then you, you figure it out. That's you true. Put you on a certain level and you're like, Hey, you're even better friends afterwards. Right. That, that is very true. But at, you know, 52, you're not going to duke it out yeah, with that. I hope not. <laughs> you know? I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's right. right. I, uh, but there's, yeah. a, there's a, there's yeah. a, a benefit in having that though. Cause you don't get that. If, if you're right. off in this world, that's too far. Your head is too right. big for your, your shoulders, oh, sure. whatever. As an adult, people are going to struggle to tell you that. That's you know? true. My, uh, my wife. Okay. Again, smartest person I've ever met. She talks about that, yeah. that we talk about hard truths in our family. Yeah. And especially as the kids were a certain age that like, I'm telling you this because nobody else will when you're 25 and you need to know this now. Right. You need to know this so that you're, you know, the, 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 the attributes that you're expressing, the things that you're doing are not becoming and they're not redeeming. And oh, by the way, they're self hurting to yourself. You know, they're, they're not going to, you know, but these hard truths that, and they're not necessarily pleasant at the moment, right. but they need to be discussed and, and, uh, and worked on, yeah. you know, so, uh, very, very true. You know, her, um, her background, I think, uh, ex- reflects a lot of that. Her background was in her family, and a lot of families are like this. Literally, they, you know, they jokingly put a smile on a stick, like a little happy smile face cut out of cardboard on a popsicle stick, and you hold it in front of your face. No matter what the Dickens is going on, everybody's smiling, everything's yeah. okay, everybody get along. And she's like, "No, we're not doing our family like that. We're gonna, we're gonna pick the scabs and go over the hard things when they need to be done, even if it's." little heartful or painful or tearful at the time but then everybody's on the everybody knows uh, we're talking truth here right and that's the standard so right. very good very very important yeah and i did that even with this podcast because this is like going into your own bubble right oh, for yeah. me and i had a few friends i told them i said please let me know like if i go out like i mean i don't know what this is like if this yeah. is viewed from the outside to be like what on earth are you doing here no yeah, uh, yeah or or say you could see somebody like getting into it and at first it's great but then eventually it's like okay this is getting weird yeah like tell me that like yeah. That's gonna be a tough conversation to have, true, right? But if if it's like, hey, Logan, this is not working. Like, don't do this anymore. I want to hear that. Yeah, Whereas for sure. if you don't intentionally do that up front, I don't think at twenty eight years old I would have a friend that's even gonna do that that's without right. being like, hey, I want you to do this for me. You know, yeah, that's truth. That's uh, truth. And exactly. Everybody should foster this. That uh, you should be looking for friends throughout the ages that can tell you hard truths. Right. right? Exactly. That'd be a good thing to do. Yeah. But then, so tying it back again into the, the, uh, the fact that being an obsessive or a very oh, yeah. passionate personality could be a negative thing. Oh, sure. Jordan Peterson. I've done, I've never done this exercise. Have you, are you familiar? He talks how he has a writing thing where you talk, you write one story of your life where you 
indulge in all your vices. Oh, go wow. down every addiction you have. Do everything okay. you and and it's quickly easy to see what that path looks like, right? right? If all these negative components of your life, if you dive down it, you're going to yeah. be an addiction. You're going to be here. You're going to be divorced, whatever. It's going to yeah. look horrible, right? Yeah. And then the reverse is living the best life that you possibly can. What does that look like? And right. if you really remove all personal barriers, it's so quick to see the light out. Hey, here's what the correct path is. Yeah. I've never done it. I, I want to do that exercise. I, I haven't done it either, but that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But but you met him, you said, or you... you so went, went to Chicago uh, when we... Um, yeah, it's when we, I, I mentioned I got here in November of, uh, what, 17, and he and uh, Dave Rubin uh, did the Chicago Theater, like one of the, you know, old, awesome, beautiful theaters, and um, that was still when I had a partner, uh, Kirk Lemmy, the awesome guy who, and we were on a week on, week off, so mm. flew down to Chicago and uh, did like a little um, a weekend trip with my true love, and, and again, saw him in person, which was very, very good, especially because I had followed him and his career progression and stuff and again um everybody's got bumps obviously you know about his bumps and now he's yeah. making a comeback kind of thing and it's it's like i'll say another name where he never had the time for a comeback but i used to listen to a lot of ravi zacharias if you ever heard that mm. name so he's a theologian uh kind of like francis chan and very uh his thing was and i think he was based out of georgia um uh, you know it's oh I, i'll say his phrase which i liked his phrase it was a uh, helping um let me helping the thinker to believe helping the believer to think something hmm. along those lines okay in other words he he wanted you to do the apologetic to go like why do i believe in god again what's do i believe in god why do i believe in god what are the what are the um the evidences for and against and things like that and how can i communicate that um uh in a winsome way to the world so that others can maybe you know think about it and maybe you know become a christian or what have you sure now the bugger is and this is just heartbreaking right because we followed him for years uh, you know then he had a major scandal like he he ended with um, he passed away but I don't even know if they found out before he passed away or after but he had had some improprieties and some things that are just left a mark on his ministry where it's just like ah yeah. yeah he too was what a concept he was a sinner right just like the rest of us and, and he had foibles just like the rest of us and the, the bugger is it's almost better sometimes when uh, that could have been addressed even with shame and humiliation while alive as opposed to afterwards where it's just like, you know, but it's a major letdown. Whereas I used to listen to him quite a bit. Yeah. And now you listen to it and you're like, ah, oh, are you really, are you really believing that stuff? Because I, I know later on, you know, what you were doing and it doesn't match your, your actions don't meet your words sometimes. So it's, it's hard, right? So right. that's very hard. Greg Bonson was a theologian that passed away like years ago, but he again a lot of apologetic as far as like why does a rational reasonable intelligent person you know put their faith in uh, a higher being and, and what that means and it should you know kind of drive your foundations right and what that what that ex means so just very interesting right uh, another guy anyway so i'm sorry Go ahead. no you're good yeah. um so actually I, this does tie right back into the time of going into medical school, oh, medical sure. school because i have three little ones at home yeah. right and it's something i consider is, is i guess I, i'm always reaching for the next best thing right yeah, from yeah. on a professional level like right. trying to how can i challenge myself that's part right. of what this is right um considering doing things like going back to school right, right. stuff like that and, and and super interested in psychology so thinking about going down that route yeah right? but very cool um that's what i struggle with is say i was to go back to school finish my undergrad and go for uh, a psychologist right uh that's at a sacrifice to my family and right. it feels like why wouldn't I, I'm totally conflicted with why wouldn't you 
just stick with the safe and secure. It supports your family. Right. You don't make them sacrifice. But then you also have this draw to do what you feel like you're called to do. How, right. how did you, I guess, right. that no, was you, right? That, so how did you? That's exactly me. Yeah. In fact, as I was approaching this, so it became very clear, very quick that pharmacy wasn't going to work out because every pharmacy dean I talked to, talked to two or three, um, they weren't even uh, very polite. You know, they laughed. You know, they were like, uh, you don't understand. You know, pharmacy is extremely competitive you don't even we th this application with your background you know from your undergraduate uh you know scores are ridiculously low despite the fact you've been out 10 years now and your recent stuff yeah you're doing night school and weekends and it's more respectable but you know we we do take the whole package and that includes 10 years ago so that was kind of disheartening i had an uncle i still still have an uncle uh it's my wife's uncle in boston he's kind of head of the family back east and he's the guy that took me down a dirt road long walk long walk on a nice saturday fall saturday nice brown leaves i remember it very clearly and just put his arm around me and it's like yeah don't don't do this at that point we had um just three kids at that okay. point okay but still three little kids right and he's like don't what he's like what are you doing you know he's like what what kind of a uh, what what are you trying to put your family through trying to go back to school and especially medical school and he goes um you know there's options he was well connected in boston with lots of different i could you know get a job mm -hmm. i could do like a regular like a normal life and he strongly recommended dropping that whole scheme um and again uh i have to admit i, I prayed about it and i mm -hmm. thought about it and i'm not sure if it was a I, I hate to say it was a pride thing. Maybe it was a pride thing that like, I'll show them. I can mm -hmm. do this. I can do this. But it, it definitely was a serve thing too. It's like, I think I think everybody can serve. If you're baking bread and you're doing it uh, with the right mindset, you're serving. You're doing a good thing. There's nothing wrong or dishonorable or, or, or in any way lesser than baking bread than being a neurosurgeon. Right. But, um, but yet... If you have the ability to do a little bit more and a little bit higher level of thinking and, and work and sacrifice, you know, I think I'm called to that. So so that's mm -hmm. what I did. That's what I did. So it was like, uh, it was challenging. I'm yeah. not joking. It was uh, like two or three years of um, three or four nights a week at night in night school, uh, weekends. And, and you know what it's like taking classes where it's always hanging over your head and there's always some final and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. The good news was, Bruce mentioned the same thing where uh, it's a different mindset than when you're in high school or even when I was at the Naval Academy where it's like, all right, you know, uh, you get done and you're done. No, it's like you've got to get an A. You've right. got to be, and, and you have to, um, you know, be competent in the material. So you have to treat this like a job and actually get it, get it going. I'll, I'll just say it. My wife had a lot to do with this as far as like her mindset of accepting this and not just tolerating, but encouraging this and always being there and always being encouraging. That was a huge aspect of, and being strong enough at that point, she'd already been through deployments like lots of them. And when I say deployments, I mean, you go away for months at a time. Our first deployments were like just paper, you know, before email and stuff, right? So you'd mm -hmm. write a letter. Literally when I was on the England, my first deployment in the Persian Gulf, I'd write a letter and it, it would get sent and it would make its way back to San Diego. Oh, in about a week or two, and then her response, if there was any question or feedback required, it's another week or two. It's like it could be up to a month between, you know, that feedback loop of uh, did you do this? The answer to come back, I did this. Yeah. So, uh, of course, every deployment got better and better and not necessarily 
I don't even know if that's a good thing. By the time I'm in Afghanistan doing the work, uh, that's its own kind of problem in terms of they had a little computer center and I'd be in the morning on a, like literally I'm in freaking Afghanistan in Kandahar and I am talking to my family on like a Skype kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I see my family around the kitchen table having breakfast like 12, you know, 12 time zones or whatever away. It's a totally different time of day, halfway around the world live. I'm seeing them eat their uh, breakfast and all of a sudden, you know, and then I get a page, oh, we got, you know, three alpha traumas coming in, you know, you're in the OR in five minutes and, and let's, you know, it was, um, I won't say that was as healthy sometimes yeah. as that compartmentalization of when you were totally separate from that kind of stuff. So right. that's how that goes. Um, anyway, so balance, we talked a little bit about balance and family and self, uh, not just the sacrifice for yourself, but obviously the sacrifice for your family, that's for sure. Yeah. So you had your uncle that gave you that talk. Oh yeah, right? and then but and then but he accepted that. Like we, I just went to a wedding of my oldest son. He was there, and we get along great. And he's yeah. he's very very good. Right. Uh, he's older, of course, and and kind of you know obviously health concerns at this point. Yeah. Uh, but I think even he got over that too. It's not like he looked at me like I'm a bad man. No, it's right. just his best advice would have been to do a different route. Yeah. And I don't know. I think in the big scheme of things, I'm I'm way happy with the way things have gone. There's been several days and cases and, and things that I've done where I feel like, yeah, God has put me here for this moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's, and, and, and it's not every day, I'll, I'll say it, but there's been several times where I'm like, ah, okay, all of that, all of that, all the sacrifice, all the time and all the, it, I hate to use the suffering word, it's not like somebody's poking you, but yeah. it's, it's like you're giving up mm-hmm. lots. And oh, but this moment is what it's for, right? Yeah. This moment, this person in front of me, you know, to serve is why I'm here and why this all made sense. Right. And you know, that's that's that. So a couple things about that. You said you really, really enjoyed the deployments, the oh, adventure, yeah. stuff like I that. Did. Okay, smoky. And, and is there kind of like a parallel between that adventurous mindset as well as the adventurous mindset on a like a knowledge level? That's what drew you towards the. Oh boy, that's that's a good question. Um, um knowledge that's that's a that's a very good one um i don't know i think how about this i i don't i don't see it that way i okay. I, I i mean i definitely being deployed and being in the military uh was like being a boy scout on steroids right and a mm-hmm. lot of awesome opportunities and lots of very uh exciting and fulfilling you know as far as that goes and and some downsides too but but more up than down uh and i I don't see it as far as like my own personal psychology of trying to be smarter or know more about it. It, it definitely okay. still was like, I'm acquiring this tool to serve 10 people or a hundred people or a thousand people. That's, it was more like that more than me acquiring it just to acquire it just for knowledge and pride of knowing something. It was definitely like, all right, if I know how to do this particular skill, yeah. then I can help these extra hundred thousand people or whatever the Dickens it would be. Okay. So is there a separation? Cause I have this drive and I, Maybe it's not pride. The pride part is a oh, yeah. funny thing, right? Because it's hard to look at yourself and say, is it pride or is it not? Right. right? But, it's that balance. Yeah. But it, um, so what I really enjoy reading books, learning things oh, and whatever yeah. else. And it feels like it's for the joy of learning, yeah. not not for the the pride. But it could, there could be an element of pride for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. I, but I'm curious for you, is there, because you said you like to read like Lots. nonfiction, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, history especially. Is that different like that's for the joy of learning, whereas your medical school is more for the the benefit of serving, not that, for the joy of learning. I'll, I'll buy that. I I uh, I have to admit, like 
I uh, go through the training and there's certain things I do like uh, that are very tactile and very satisfying, almost like a carpenter would mm, feel with mm-hmm. the, the right joist and just like the perfect joint line, you know, you get that satisfaction. Uh, there are certain procedures I do that are very satisfying. And mm-hmm. especially if you can take somebody who's having distress or pain and you make their pain go away or make it not even exist in the first place. We do a lot of like regional techniques and things. And it's not rocket science after you've done it a while, right? Mm-hmm. But it's very satisfying. Um, but it's not just, I, I don't get like a thrill from having the knowledge so much as making the pain go away. How about that? I don't, sure. That, yeah. That's kind of a weird distinction, but that's uh, probably where I'd go with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, no, I just, again, curious again on the... Uh, oh, yeah. Because I feel like there's this thing, and again, is it pride or not? But it feels like we were talking about how pushing yourself and, yeah. and right and finding that being that balance of, of comfortable and not comfortable too, right. or even just thinking about that into some of our last conversations. But I feel like for me, I'm most alive when I'm at that learning okay. thing, right? All right. But again, is that a pride thing? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. It seems like it's just for the joy of learning. Right. But again, I, I like the, the, what you're talking about, how it's more of a serving thing, and but then maybe there's a separation there. I, I, I do want to say that if like, you're if if uh, you can do the exact same action right and have that action be evil right or good yeah completely the same thing that you're doing but the actual act be very different based on am i doing this because oh i could get spicy i could talk about uh I, I won't. I'm going to no. totally... No, brother, I'm going to avoid we, it. Okay. Like, we can well, cut it whole, out if you want. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can talk about like Fauci, let's say. Okay. Like in the whole COVID thing, sure. right? And the vaccines and all that jazz. Um, I, I saw an interview with him where he's got this massive, super-sized portrait of himself on the wall. Yeah. And I'm, that that tells you an awful lot, I think. You know, and again, I don't want to slam this old yeah. guy, whatever. Right. But oh, and, and I won't go down that whole rabbit sure. hole because, brother, I could talk for hours. But the point being that... Um, one thing that's missing right now in medicine and and it's to the detriment of medicine is humility right yeah. they they have um the CDC and the FDA and the NIH and and then it crosses into of course you know the the big pharma that goes with that and big government that goes all together with that and the one element that's missing is humility yeah. you don't you don't hear anybody on any of those levels at any structure and saying oh we could be we're not really sure about this but this is our best guess you're not going to hear that you're not going to hear oh rats that didn't work out quite the way we planned so you know it is we'll try something else they that that element of humility is so lacking in our government and industry and and unfortunately regulation regulatory agencies yeah um and man uh being the scientific method has been corrupted. It, the real scientific method is, and they say, trust the science. I agree. Right. If your science is this hypothesis, I have a, I have an observation. I make an observation. This happens. I have a hypothesis. Okay. And this happens because of X. I'm going to experiment to see if that's true. And then the point being though, that experiment isn't to prove that you're right. It's right. to disprove. You're trying to disprove what you're, what your hypothesis is not to prove it and that's a totally different thing right it's an element of humility but it's also more scientifically valid you're not out to show oh i am making a profoundly good hypothesis and it's accurate and look my experiment proved that i'm accurate and i'm great no you are working as hard as you can to disprove 
prove your hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And that element of science has been corrupted. And then, of course, it, it repeat, repeat, repeat. That one of the worst things in the world right now is that the science is settled. And right. whether it's across many, many fields, it's applied. If you utter those words, you're not a scientist. You're 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 very unscientific. And uh, not to put too much on it, but I'll say it: there's an aspect of evil on there because you are you are literally, um, you know, an affront to truth. Okay, we're all trying to seek. And obtain truth and if you're saying oh something is settled usually there's a p- political or, or a profit motive there and it's like you're obviously you've missed the ball game entirely okay right um right. so again this is a tangent i really i mean we could talk yeah. about it for hours but i mean it's it's a hard world we live in a crazy world we live in and that's probably the biggest element that's causing that the lack of humility in the powers that be whether it's political or business or especially god forbid regulatory and everything else that they have their vested interests to not be humble and not to approach things with a humility that I could be wrong. Right. And like most things, like we talked about before, it's a balancing act. Confidence. You want to obviously be confident and work hard, but you want to have that element of humility. I could be wrong, um, deathly wrong. And what does that mean, right? Right. But whew, Nelly, it's a crazy world. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. A couple things is uh, I used to get frustrated in all my science classes because oh, yeah. we'd learn about the first chapter would be, here's what we thought a thousand <laughs> years ago. Right. Here's what we thought 800 years ago and go down the list. And here's what we thought a hundred years ago. Right. And here's why they, all these things were wrong. And here's what we know is correct. Oh yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> right. then we would learn all about what they know is concrete. And that's no, awesome. Uh, that's, yeah. that's a great example of that. That is very true. In other words, instead of putting out there, this is what we think is going on now, right? right. It's our current understanding, right? Yeah. There's a few classic examples, you can look it up. The US Patent Office, like in the either late 1800s, I think it was, or early 1900s, the head, the director of the US Patent Office literally made a letter to Congress saying, we need to close the patent office because we've discovered everything that will ever be discovered. We're done, we're good to go. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and then the next thing was, of course, the US government, I don't know if you knew this, they put substantial, substantial money into man flight. That, that before the Wright brothers, the U.S. government s- subsidized in a big way this research and development of, you know, heavier than air man flight. We're going to make a machine that's going to fly. And after, of course, lots for that time, lots of money wasted. And of course, they came up with a statement. You know what? This is impossible. This will never happen. And like two weeks later, the Wright brothers flew. Right. And in other words. Um, the overconfidence of uh, bureaucrats and you know, quote unquote, big people. You just want to, uh, you yeah. know, just crazy. But it's nothing new. It's it's and nothing new under the sun. My my wife, who again, if you haven't picked up on this, I love her desperately and always will. But my mm. oh, we have this ongoing thing because I'm like, oh, it's a crazy world and it's getting crazier and it's very concerning. And and she grounds me and says, yeah, but. You know, it's the human nature hasn't changed. Right. Nothing's changed. It's crazy. You don't think it's crazy back in the 500s when, you know, the Visigoths or somebody were coming through your village that your family had farmed that village for eons as far back as you can remember. Now, here are these these invaders and every everything you knew and took for granted is gone. Right. And, and all through history, you can look at elements of time and, and these things have occurred. Um, and you can't really run from it. It's it's the it's the human nature, and that's how it goes. There's a classic story. I don't know if you heard this. There's this French farmer guy back in the 1930s. It's 
you know, I don't know if it's a true story, but I've heard it enough times. I'll, I'll call mm-hmm. it true. I hope it's true. It's a good story anyways. Anyways, 1930s, and he sees the storm clouds brewing in Europe. You know, he's a French guy, and he's like, holy cow, this is a crazy world, he says. You know, and it's like uh, concerning enough that I think those Germans over there, I think they're going to get aggressive. And, man, I'm right here on the border. I'm getting the dick inside of here. So he sells everything, lock, stock, and barrel. And he, where can I move that's safe? I know, out to the south. He got a piece of property on Guadalcanal because he's like, this is the most isolated, safe place in the entire planet that I can move to. And now history will pass me by. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the rest of the story with Guadalcanal. But uh, it's a antidotal story. And I, I hope, I'll have to look it up when I get home today to see if there's an element of truth that can find some things. But classic right. story of like, you know, you can run, but you can't hide necessarily. There's there's things you can do to optimize and try to prepare for the storm clouds that you see. But ultimately, they're the same storm clouds that have blown through. Um, and, you know, just how you deal with them is, is the big thing. And new yeah. new forms of them, of course. But, yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll throw something at you. But, again, I don't want to chase it too far, brother. But I'm just going to throw it at you. What do you know about the Great Reset? And what are your thoughts on Klaus Schwab and his crew and all that? Have you heard much about that? A little bit, not oh, much. Can you? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Let's get into it. Yeah. Again, we can remove any portion that you want. All so right. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, you know. Okay. Um, there is a thing called, you know, the World Economic Forum, right? right. And yeah. just how they have a vision for the future of not, you know, their little part of the world, but the world. Sure. And, and it's literally something worth looking into as yeah. far as just what actions they've taken to try to drive their agenda and their worldview. It's it's literally a worldview thing is, is what it amounts to as far as like how they think things should be uh, governed and managed and all that kind of jazz. Hmm. And the, the bugger is, of course, that through human history, they're not the first organization or entity to think, if only I had complete power, well, then I'll tell you, this would be utopia, right? Right. And usually, unfortunately, it ends very, very poorly with, you know, obviously, you can give a multitude of examples of how governments have killed their people by the millions, you know, right. and the slaughter that ensues. Um, and it's just, um, whether through, you know, planned or unplanned, you know, famines mm. and, and in, um, it's just... It's just hard, but uh, I'll just leave it at that and just sure. say you should you should look into that. And the, yeah. the the Great Reset is something that is in our time frame that you and our you and I and our children have to deal with. As far as like, they're very, um, you know, they have a very definitive plan for how they want the planet. Now right. they're not going to talk to Logan about that mm-hmm. and ask his input or what your thoughts are. Right. But uh, they've got a plan and they're driving towards it with vigor. Yeah. And just what that means for all of us, you know, uh, just for what it's worth. Yeah. So to date, I've fairly successfully lived under a rock oh, on, on current political things. Okay. I really enjoy past. Yeah. Like I'm oh, reading, nice. okay. you're, you're talking, uh, I'm reading about Soviet Russia and oh, their yeah. camps right now. I mean, yeah, the book. Well, yeah, the, the Arch- yeah, have you read the, you know, the Gulag Archipelago? That's what I'm reading. Yeah. Right now. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Very good. Um, that's so a I'm, good starting place. Exactly. Right. Well, and it's not like Stalin came right. up with a new idea. This has been repeated throughout history, right? And it's been mimicked. You know, and Mao did the same thing, the Great Leap Forward in China, where if only I have complete power and control, I can make this a better place. And then it ends in the literally starvation, death, and deprivation of millions of people. Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Right. There's a book, uh, I can write it down for you, but it's called uh, To Destroy You Is No Loss. And okay. basically this Cambodian family 
who are bourgeoisie. They're just average, normal people having a business and trying to live their life. But of course, with the Chimera Rouge coming, if you, you know, you are the enemy, mm-hmm. uh, just like in Soviet, you know, Stalin age, you know, the Krulaks. If you were a middle-class farmer who got up early, worked hard because you wanted a prosperous farm and you wanted to feed your family, you're the enemy, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing in Cambodia. And they, they liquidated a third of their country's population. And the sad part is, of course, it's not like there's, you know, justice on earth here. Uh, those people just, you know, revolve into power under a different name eventually. Like if you go there now, it, the same elements that were committing these atrocities at colossal scales are still in power behind the scenes. So it's like, it's just very, um, it's very hard. The archipelago, the Gulag archipelago, though, obviously awesome. And you should, that's a great thing to read. Yeah. Uh, but I would hate to say that, you know, you've heard uh, that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, right? right? And yeah, I mean, if you think that we are immune to some kind of a situation like that in the future, uh, I, I would beg you to consider human nature more because the, the sin nature and, and basically the pride nature of powerful people who say, if only I had more power, right. then I can control and make utopia. And you can put any title on them you want, whether they're national socialists or uh, Soviet socialists or, you know, communist uh, socialists, whatever. People who want to seek that epitome of power to control others and make their utopian society. I, I truly don't think Stalin started by saying, oh, I will kill all these people. Mm-hmm. that will make No, he's like, no, if they'll just listen, if right. they just listen to me and do what I say, everything will be much better. Yeah. You know, um, so... You could even argue maybe his intentions are good or whatever, but it always ends in, you know, evil personified, barely bad and right. slaughter. Like I said. Anyways, bro, yeah. right, I cut you off. No, no, with the, it was the good. So I, I guess I, to me, it's just fascinating to read oh, yeah. the Gulag Archipelago, or oh, Archipelago sure. right? Because um, you learn about how crazy, like, the, like you said, maybe they have the best intentions on the backside, but it's right. like the guy, the people are in prison for 25 years for... Right. They wrote a letter questioning whether or not the government made the right choice here or not. You know what I mean? It's just unbelievable or nothing. Or they didn't tell on their neighbor who was a political conspirator. So one of of the key elements there, and we're seeing this now much more aggressively. And again, it goes with the Great Reset thing. Because if you follow the international news as much in the EU and other places, this whole emphasis now on disinformation, right? Right. It's not a U.S. thing. I mean, it's, it's a global institution of trying to get oh disinformation so they can censor and they can control the narrative and to control what you receive information you receive when you receive it and oh you can't talk about that you can't mm-hmm. talk about this they control it's again it's a control element but that goes back to the great reset as well as who's controlling that but i will say that in your gulag archipelago the classic quote is that he says they knew they were lying we knew they were lying they knew that we knew they were lying, mm-hmm. but still the lies occurred. Right. Um, and there's this element in our society, you know, you've heard of uh, where you, you hear of the word gaslighting. Yeah. Where, and there's certain things I'll see in current media and current events and current things. And I'm like, they know those people that are talking right now, they know that's false, that's a lie but they will say it with a straight face and they know that we know it's a lie and they still say it with a straight face and, and like push it. Okay. Whether it's about the economy or this, that, or the other, but gaslighting and disinformation. Um, I forget who said, maybe it might've been, 
oh, there's a guy, um, what's his name? Russell Brandt. I don't know if you ever oh, yeah. heard of him. Yeah. He, he used to be like this kind of cast off, whatever kind of crazy um, actor, but he's got a decent channel too, believe it or not. And, yeah. and he goes over a lot of this information as far as like, he is trying earnestly to, at least he says he is, and I believe he is, mm-hmm. uh, to seek out truth and just trying to figure things out. But he's, he's got a decent uh, channel as well. But the point being that, um, you know, it's it's challenging, but all you can do is, you know, keep the faith. And like I, my wife tells me to do, you know, just take it one day at a time, one mm-hmm. breath at a time, one person at a time, one patient at a time. Right. And, and do the very best you can. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's it. So, yeah, and thinking about that, he does talk about that in that book, in the Gulag Hall. Oh, yeah. Everybody's living a lie, but nobody can talk about it. And right. then tying that into, again, back to Jordan Peterson, he's, oh, yeah. one of his rules is tell the truth or at least don't lie, right? Right. But if you go along exactly. with this continuous lie, that's where you end up in the depths of despair, oh, yeah. right? Absolutely. In, in many areas, right? Because you're not true to yourself either. Right. So, again, the examined life, we started all this a while back with the examined life, that, that every single person every single person is a philosopher and a theologian right it's just they don't acknowledge it or think about it much and they should they should that you should be thinking on a on a pretty regular basis and it's hard you're in the trenches day after day you know things you know the busyness of living uh makes it hard but on a regular basis you should take a step back and a deep breath and go you know what is truth what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What's my goals? Where am I, where am I from? Where am I going to? Mm-hmm. And what's it mean? And literally think the big thoughts like that um, because it does help you to reset and recage. You were talking about the balance of sacrifice for your family and maybe achieving something that's a, a bigger aspiration for yourself. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of like questions to ask to make that decision, right? It's, it's not easy. And, and, right. Uh, I will just say it. Obviously, it's a different decision for one person to the next based on their circumstances and what they've got going and all that jazz. Um, at the very beginning of this, we talked about the three-year thing I did up at, on the hill here. Right. And and my wife and I at one point kind of figured out, well, the partner thing isn't working out too well, but we'll grin and bear it for three years because that will give us the latitude then to have more freedom at the end. So there is um, like an ability at that point to if you want to work more, you want to work less, you want to pursue full-time locums or part-time locums or, or, or not locums, but medical mission work and things. You I mean, to you, you just have the latitude and the freedom to kind of be able to pursue what you want to pursue maybe more right. uh, in a way that's hopefully, um, you know, uh, a blessing to others. You know, that's the big thing. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious to get your pers- perspective on this because, again, I, I told you I really enjoy reading about the history and oh, how yeah. things can go, go array and whatever else. But I told you, I live under a rock currently. To me, that's how I've compartmentalized my life. I said, this does nothing but make me unsatisfied and anxious or whatever yeah. else. So I just ignore all of it. I gotcha. But I don't know that that's the right answer. Yeah. But trying to find a balance of what's the right answer of being informed. And you could say we're on a tipping point of something major, right? I, I think so. It's, it's interesting. I will tell you, uh, having spent months in Iraq right. and months in Afghanistan, and seen and experienced the sacrifice uh, personally, but also the sacrifice of others, men, women, and children, and soldiers, and and Taliban, Tommy too. I mean, God love him. And it's like, and then for all of that, just to be, poof, mm-hmm. no, no big deal. And it, oh, it turns out that it wasn't a big deal. Nobody cares. And and oh, by the way, click the channel; it's gone. You know, nobody cares. It's a, it's that's soul crushing yeah. that is hard that is very hard and it has dampened my 
Uh, I used to be back in the day, I mentioned Ronald Reagan and all that, mm-hmm. probably much more blindly patriotic and waving the flag and we're right because we're Americans and that makes us right. You know, and whew, uh, I will say that's come a long way that like, uh, you know, the I don't see much difference in the, the pride and, and sin and intentions of some of our elites in control and the elites other were yeah. placed in the world in control. And of course, who pays the price eventually is just the common man, just the guy that is trying to feed his family and work and try to do the right thing. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard, very, very hard. Right. Um, but I get, I get the stepping back because if you do obsess about it and you can, obviously it's in your face all the time. That's one of my wife's things is that it's not so much that the world is crazier because the Visigoths, with their horn helmets are still coming at you, but it's just in your face more. And, and if you allow it to be in your face more, it can be destructive. Right. And that's that's a very, I think, wise viewpoint my wife projects. And um, the only thing I'll say is, um, how about this, a balance? I, yeah. like to, I like to know, I like to know, like, I think, you know, of course they'll disparage and say it's conspiracy theory mm-hmm. this, conspiracy theory that, but I think it's possible to have, if you pursue it, a really good idea of what are the f- major forces in the world, where they're going and how they're going and, and what's happening um, for better or for worse. Not that you can control it. Right. Not that, um, you know, but at least to kind of understand when something happens, uh, first of all, uh, and this is probably the most important, is not to take it at face value. I've only made the front page personally, I mean, if you will, of yeah. the Washington Post one time. And when I say me personally, my ship, the USS England, when mm-hmm. when Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait, it was a big whoo, Nelly. It was a big surprise, surprise. Uh, and then it had a big workup and stuff. And literally, they had a picture of my ship that I was on in the Persian Gulf, like on cruising USS England and uh, doing this, that, and the other. And I was like, front page, Washington mm-hmm. Post. That's pretty cool. But if you read that article, that article is about ninety five percent true. About ninety five percent of what is written in that article is pretty spot on pretty accurate but there was a very key five percent that even reading it i'm like oh that was not just an inaccuracy not just a misinterpretation or misunderstanding that five percent was put in there and it doesn't reflect reality and it was put in there for political purposes Mm. or a, a purpose that has nothing to do with presenting the news right and that even at that point, this is what, 1990 or whatever, gave me a whole new appreciation for taking everything that you read and see and hear and is presented to you as quote unquote news with a grain of salt and just know like who's who's benefiting from what information, when, where, how, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like, and especially, like I said, now it's just, it's much more in your face as far as like there's elements that want to suppress, you know, they call it disinformation. Uh, freedom of the press and freedom of thought, freedom of information. And anybody who's trying to dampen pursuit of, of knowledge and, and, and putting that knowledge out there, ooh, you better, you better look at their motives. You better mm-hmm. look at, like, what, what are they doing with that? Right. Because uh, it's, it's not a good place to be. Uh, you know, it, it's crazy, but it's not a good place to be. Right. Yes, so, but I'm still trying to find a, a thought process behind oh, it sure. again. For me, I've lived under a rock, and my mindset has been: if I need to know something, I'm surrounded by enough people that are informed that oh, I will find out okay. about it. All right. 
that puts the pressure on them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the right answer, but I also think to myself, okay, you have a calling, right? right. Like you do, right? You yeah. have your own calling. You're an anesthesiologist. Yeah. If, if somebody is whatever they're into, right. like again, go back to the, do the greatest amount of good with yeah, what you it. can at that time. And yeah. that's, if, if I'm so engaged here, that's going to take away from me being able to do what my true ability or my true calling is. Hmm. But I don't know. I, I'm still not sure that living under a rock and, and people will tell me about it if I need to know is the right answer. So I'll tell you what a good, um, or what I try to do to balance. Okay. I literally will seek various um, sources of information, right? I don't rely on one particular source or even yeah. five particular sources. I do try to gather information from a variety of sources and not rely on one just for the funnel of information, right? And, mm-hmm. and that way you balance. And you take those guys with a, a grain of salt as well and their agenda as well. Uh, I, I mentioned I grew up pretty, what you would call pretty conservative, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the military and all that jazz. And, and, and you know, um, I'm a Christian, so Christian father of six who homeschooled his kids, right? That's that kind of, look it up in the dictionary, that's pretty conservative. Sure. But um, I, I found myself now more on the, all over the spectrum. Like I'll, I'll I mentioned that Russell Brandt guy I yeah. listened to, uh, Jimmy Dore is a comedian, but he's also um, a guy that does like a, a video podcast thing on current events. Uh, and again, we couldn't be more um, opposite on certain social things, okay? Mm-hmm. But yet, I'll, I'll listen. Same with the Russell Brandt guy. There are certain things that he proposes and, and stands for that I'm like, ah, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with this Jimmy Dore guy. So the point being, I try to gather information and outlooks and perspectives from different uh, points on the on the compass um, while always having a compass that points true north if that makes sense now sure not to get too metaphorical or my true north I you know there's some certain foundational things which are true and truth okay right and what is truth you know obviously there's you know classic uh, Jesus and Pontius Pilate you know what is truth okay and so it, it goes back to that um, but having true north but then also at least observing what the other perspectives are from around the compass is, is I don't know, for me, it's useful. Yeah. And, and I probably painted too extreme of a picture. I'd say I, I live in a rock yeah. in meaning I don't pursue traditional news sources oh, at sure. all. Right. Um, I wouldn't, we don't have a TV. Like right. my wife and I, uh, Dickens, we haven't had a television in our house for decades. I right. mean, literally decades. So it's like now, now, that's not to like stand, oh, look at me, I'm so wonderful because I don't have a TV, aren't I? Right. It's it's more, and especially in this day and age where uh, we all have computers, right? And yeah. I'll say most nights, you know, we're either reading books or on our computers, uh, listening to blogs or, or mm-hmm. video blogs and things like that. That's, um, you know, so it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So as I say that, I, I somehow I'm informed on a lot of these things and I think it's through podcasts like oh, Joe yeah, Rogan yeah. and the different guests he has. Right. So for sure there's an element where I am engaged and I'm thinking about these things and what's happening in Ukraine or whatever else, yeah, but it's sure. just not the traditional methods, which is probably better. Yeah. Maybe even right. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And again, again, that's why this campaign to stifle other voices, you know, the, the disinformation campaign, if, if they let that camel's nose under the tent, you'll have the camel in there pretty quick. In other words, if you, I mean, I don't know if you followed that, but they tried to have a disinformation board, right? And man, if if the government, whoever's in power, gets to, to decide what's factual or not, I mean, you look at these knuckleheads at like Twitter and the big tech, right? And routinely, I mean, they 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 have a very strong 
bent, a bias towards mm-hmm. certain thoughts and, and things of what's right and what's wrong. And if you let that censorship creep in, man, you're, you're crazy. I, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, obviously I'm not a fan of big not of Nazis. Right. But right. I think a Nazi, no joke today, if he wants to put on his little Nazi outfit and go down to the, uh, to the bridge and wear his little and wave his flag and say, I'm a Nazi and here's why I'm, I'm actually like a free speech, almost absolutist, right? right? Like I can't imagine something that he could say and no matter how erroneous and malicious and hateful, okay, that would make me go, oh, he should not be allowed to speak. Again, the, the criteria should be, is he saying, all right, Bob, kill Jim, that's yeah that's okay that crosses the line right but if you're not saying something like that or the classic you know shouting fire in a crowded theater you mm-hmm. know you should be able to say whatever the dickens you won't uh now which is why you'll see this expansion of what you no know, oh hate and violence is um my national organization uh for anesthesia they have a magazine and they have all kinds of stuff in there and you know i'd say 50 percent is clinical and i'd say it's crept up about hmm. 50% is social concerns and things like that. And yeah. they have a very, you know, normal big medicine bent, which is to say not necessarily ours, but the classic article, this, this, uh, uh, past year or two that irritated me was that they gave voice to that. Um, there's a phrase that, uh, BLM used, which is silence is violence. So just, just digest that and take that apart for a second. So what they're saying is, okay, there's this, uh, you know, discrimination and badness, uh, uh, you know, against the, the African-American community. And if you don't stand with us and say that you agree with us and like wave the flag with us, that's committing violence against us. Hmm. Whoa, that's a big, that's a big rubricon to pass. Because if you say not agreeing with you is literally violence, well, you can counteract violence with violence. What you're saying is that you have a blank card uh, uh, to do violence in response to somebody's silence. Okay, so I, I thought for a national organization, I thought that was a pretty big thing to put out there, but but people do. And again, it's like, oh, Nelly, it's it's just hard, right? Um, I am. Uh, I mentioned at one point today that I'm always concerned about the destruction or the assault on the scientific method where mm-hmm. people, and we talked about this, where it's established science, which is no such thing. And then the other thing too, is that assault on freedom of speech and information. That's, that should be a, you know, and it goes hand in hand with the other. So it's this hard. It's this right. hard. So Jordan Peterson first came to the spotlight when he had called out a True. bill up in Canada. Yeah, that's right. I right. think C-16 or something like that, where yeah. it became unlawful to not address somebody by their, per, by their preferred pronouns. Right. right? And what he said is that compelled speech is like compelled thought and, right. and it's, it's unethical and immoral, illegal and everything. And, um, not to mention, um, you know, farcical, I, you know, and, and I've got no problem with people thinking they are whatever they want to think they are. Mm-hmm. But once you cross again, it's a Rubicon to cross to say like, but you have to accept whatever they think they are. If they think they're a walrus and then you say, and you get in trouble for that saying, oh, you're a walrus, right? Or for that matter, they don't understand the depths of how bad that rabbit hole is. If, right. if my pronouns are Lord God Almighty, I want you or anyone else to forever to call me Lord God Almighty. That's, 
when you compel speech, it's not a good thing. But right. that's yeah, you're right. That's how he earned his spurs way back in the day. I remember that. That's that's true. Right. Um, and then again, so he's talks about, and that ties right back into like tell the truth, even when it's hard. And he talks about going through that. He said it was horrible. Yeah. He hated that experience. Oh, of all course. the attention he got and all right. the negative press and all this pressure, but he felt compelled. Like, right. This is a realm in my realm, right. or this is something in my realm. If I don't call this out. I'm yeah. Like I need to do something about this. And, and so yeah. there's an element of self-sacrifice, right? And, yeah. and like, literally it's that same balance where is this a fight worth picking and dying on this hill for? Right. right. Um, whew. And, and obviously he's done good things that I think that, um, one of the reasons, uh, I actually flew to Chicago to see him in person. Right. And, and, you know, literally that was mm -hmm. the highlight of the, um, I think we did one of their, I feel what else we, you know, saw some museums and things. Um, forget what else we did down there we did something else of note but i forgot the dickens does anyways the point being though was that i knew going into that theater it would be uplifting for me to see a few thousand other people pay money to to that i'm not an isolated alone conspiracy theorist right. not like oh i'm so far off the reservation like like in the current media they want you to kind of think that that if you uh, oh, what a concept. If you believe in the Constitution, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, and you think that, you know, this was uh, a country with um, with good intentions, with, with flawed people that mm -hmm. had issues through the years, but on the whole was a place of freedom and independence and, and responsibility by the individual. If you, like, object to any of that, you know, they, they say, oh, you're, you're some kind of, you know, evil patriarch or something. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, but I wanted to be in a group of people that, were like-minded right and right. at least even if i could just see them and just go like yeah i'm not isolated on my own on this yeah absolutely and i do think about the fact that uh you were talking about how your wife says that things are not different human nature is the same whatever else it does feel like and it feels like we're at this tipping point of some <laughs> sort right i agree so but, so we have an ongoing thing i i have to admit she gives me like comfort and say big deep breath yeah and no it's it's the same as it's been yeah and it's just more in your face and you know sin is sin and truth is truth and the war on truth is is always raged and it's always going to rage i on the other hand see the the tea leaves and the and the storm clouds and i think it is coming to more like a like you say a pinnacle like a mm -hmm. this is a period of time where you know, the Chinese curse may live in interesting times. Oh dear. I think we live in interesting times, you know, cause, uh, Oh, Nelly, you know, you can imagine. Uh, right. But I do, I do have that counteracting argument of like, okay, for sure. It feels politically ripped apart. Right. Our right. country. Uh, but like, look at the civil war, right? right. I mean, you're literally up in arms against your, your cousin across the state lines or whatever right. else. Right. That's just the extreme end of it. Right. Right. And many of these very, very huge tipping points throughout our, our country's history or world history feels like this is the biggest moment it's ever been. So right. it's, it's hard to say. And ideally in my head, it's that we're at a tipping point, but it's just a pendulum swing back the other way versus yeah. even more escalation right. of craziness. Right. right. So can I tell you something like we've had this, like you mentioned the pendulum swinging back and forth right. and both extremes have their evils, right? Yeah. In other words, uh, both extremes have a tendency towards authoritarian mm -hmm. uh, and dictatorial and suppression of the individual. I mean, as much as possible, everything comes down to uh, what is the individual? The individual, literally, you are 
I'm going to use the word. You're sacred. You're mm-hmm. a freaking miracle. Like right. literally, you are unique in all creation. There's never been another Logan. Like, right. And there never will be. You are unique. You are. And if you actually looked at like the miraculous biology occurring in your finger, we're just going to use your finger. Sure. If you look at the the mechanics of the tendons and the blood supply and the nerves and how those nerves work and how you have to eat certain things to get nutrients to the nerves to make them work. Otherwise, they won't. you're a walking, talking miracle. Right. And you're sacred. And every individual is sacred. One of the other things, my, my little national magazine, I mentioned my ASA magazine, which American Society of Anesthesia kind of irked me this year. They had this defense of the uh, vaccine mandates, right? Right. And it was this three or four page long philosophical ethics of medicine about why it's legitimately ethical to mandate an experimental jab on people. Now, so I don't want to get too much on that, but I'll just say their argument, four pages broke down eventually. And they went this and pros and cons and that and this, but their element of like, this is how it's going to be because of was the classic in the greater good. It's in the interest of the greater good, which has been the argument, the ethos of tyrants from time immemorial. Right. The the Khmer Rouge slaughtered a third of their population in cold blood for the greater good. Of course, it's for the greater good. Stalin slaughtered millions of his own people for the greater good. If they just would just, you know, toe the line and just learn and just and then we'll have this perfect society. It's it's for the greater good. Mm-hmm. There's no evil that Hitler didn't do. Oh, and by the way, the German medicine people at that time were like, yeah, you know, politically, you're you're right there, Hitler. You know, the there is like this uh, untermensch, this this subclass of, of people that aren't real people that we can do as we please because science says so. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that's the consensus. Okay, any of these for the greater good arguments boil down to, uh, whew, you better because you're ignoring the sacredness of the individual. The individual has to be paramount as far as the sacred. Uh, appreciation of that and i don't know in my view anyway so yeah no i agree so but i'm curious what's the counterbalance to that attack on, on on what we're looking at is it like these jordan petersons who just are in their head speaking their truth right calling yeah, out where they I, see falsities or, or i hear or, what you're saying so about the only guy that i've listened to that says no that this that by talking about this stuff and bringing it to light that light is the disinfectant and that you know we can work together um is that russell brandt guy which yeah. is no no hero i mean again uh there's lots of you know you know it's you've heard the classic you know it's not the hero we um you know one it's the hero or it's the hero we have not the hero we need or right. something like, like yeah. that it's like you can't pick your freaking hero right because right. it is what it is and they're flawed and they're got issues but um but russell brandt i like i like what he says because he's he's very much um, at least he shares my value of the individual that mm-hmm. like that as much as possible, you know, we shouldn't, uh, you know, have these structures that are so, and they're, they're pretty transparent. If you pull back even the, the, the first curtain, you can see the, I mentioned pyramid structures before as far as, and, and Jordan Peterson talks about this too, as far as like, you know, uh, hierarchical mm-hmm. uh, elements of of abilities that lead to these structures. But the catch is then these structures lead to 
you know, uh, injustices, you mm -hmm. know, and, and suppression of the individuals, right? As far as what they can do in an unfair fashion, uh, which makes me sound again more like a, you know, oh my goodness, like a liberal or something. But but uh, there's there's elements of that that's I think very very true. One of these things that the the whole COVID shutdown did was absolutely. If you look at the numbers, put so much power and money in from the middle and from the lower um strata of society as far as socioeconomic into the higher yeah. like this wealth transfer that occurred with this uh is historic in terms of the power and money that was squeezed out of the middle and into the higher levels so it's it's very interesting right um very crazy so a few things is that that's what you're talking about the the uh amazing things about the individual oh yeah that's what this is all about this oh, podcast yeah. for me like, oh, like okay gotcha you nice. know i've even had people say like uh or, but overall the feedback has been like overwhelmingly oh, positive I but bet. Uh, yeah. some negative feedback that like this person hasn't done enough with their life or they're oh, not big enough or whatever else and i'm like who? i don't care who's done what like <laughs> right. to just sit down and talk to somebody is unreal right, right. yeah yeah uh, very minimal so i'm not trying to paint that in a negative light i'm just trying to say that it's to me it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done like you right. said people are just endlessly fascinating if yeah. you really sit down and listen oh, to yeah. them and then see where did you come from and what did you do and like you said you're so unique but through that i found that to be universally true when you i mean you know or people give hints about their political things oh, that sure. are, are on the extreme opposite end of you but if you're sitting across the table from each other right. how do you not Connect. You're, you're connected on 95% of your whole life, right? right. You've got these 5% of things, but that is systematically driving you apart, right? So, so I've, I've heard and read, and, and what you're getting to, I think, or alluding to, is that, you know, the whole social internet and, right. and our phones and all that has driven wedges, and, and like, people will be easily on Facebook or some godforsaken app where they'll say, mm -hmm. oh, you stink, and you don't know what you're thinking, and they'll be much more prone to, to be... Um, extreme as far as their their views and expressing those views and just not cordial, polite, and and res respectful. Right. Respectful is probably the word. Then if they're sat across from somebody, right? Right. I think that if, um, you know, you sit across from somebody, and especially I'll just say it, and I'll use the sacred word again. That's sacred. If you break bread with somebody, yeah, and and share a glass with somebody, I'll tell you what, you are. Uh, right away there's something very and especially with the right intent if you're doing it with the right intent that you're like we're in this together this this our hourglasses both of our hourglasses are mm -hmm. are tipped and running out so uh, how can we commune you know uh it's the act of communion really is what it is and, and in such a way that's you know uh beneficial for ourselves and our society and everything else obviously yeah. the, the whole tech um revolution is made people much more apt, I think, to be negative and hostile and, and not productive than productive sometimes. You know, it's a mixed blessing. It's a curse, you know, in lots of ways. Right, right. Yeah. So to me, the answer is two things. One is tell the truth when it gets to the point where like you have it. to, right? Yeah. But also is lean in somehow, I don't know how you do it, like on a nationwide level, but somehow lean in on what we're doing right here where you're sitting across from each other yeah. and you're like you know what this guy that i was just yelling at on facebook actually we really like each other you yeah know? yeah no joke. It, it, is, is finding yeah. that on like a nationwide level right i don't know how you do that that's the catch well well the bugger is is that um you know big tech and big money and big corporations you know they do control the voice of or, or like the the media so much yeah. that it can seem very hard to overcome that you know um 
and and it just makes it just makes it hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get you. I, I don't know except that I like this individual stuff. Like you said, you start small, but you do what you can. You know what? Same thing with Jordan Peterson, and same thing. You've heard this before too. It's do the most with what you can. You know where you know as best you can. You've, right. you've alluded to that several times, and that's about all you can do. I think you know. Yeah. Um, well, trying to have a vision for the future and like where you can where you can do that. I, I mentioned briefly medical missions and. Uh, my wife and I want to try to expound on that a little bit and try to, uh, I'm hoping personally, okay, like I'm going to be doing some coming up here. And one of the benefits, and this is very selfish maybe, of doing that is I think it'll put the the hubbub and the anxieties of the world from like 50% of my daily anxieties to like 2%, right? Mm, I, want mm-hmm. to, I want to put that back down into more manageable, less than 5% of my daily angst if you will if if you can you know um enumerate it like that i don't know yeah. but in other words on any given day let's say what what causes you worry and stress and on any given day i'll say based on i hate to say based on the news cycle but i do like watch it and it does cause me stress mm-hmm. seeing different things and the markets this and the and how things are and, and politically or, or whatever knucklehead things done mm-hmm. and that can be up to I would hope not more than 50%, but but maybe as high as 50% on, on a given day, like your daily stress. And I would want to hopefully reduce that to well less than 5%. And and hopefully, uh, I don't want to say like self-isolation, but go in some place where obviously the need is more, your contribution is more, and maybe that daily stress from things that you can't control are much more manageable and less than 5%, if that makes sense. And the right. stress more becomes, how can I do more faster to help the people around me? So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it's hard. It's hard. Again, balance and everything, right? But it's hard to know because say this is like it's always been. Yeah. And in 50 years, we're right where we're at. Or, or I mean, minor right. little pendulum swings. Nothing was gained by paying attention, right? Yeah. But if we truly are at some major tipping point, well, yeah. it's like you should be informed. You right. should be digging into this. So how do you know where to go and what to do because again i think you're a better person you're a better husband you're a better father you're yeah. a better uh anesthesiologist if you can eliminate a lot of that stuff that's true but how do you find that balance of of when to be informed and not to be informed i, I struggle true. with that i guess yeah. i i i will concur i no joke i'll concur yeah. um i know that dave rubin who is one of jordan's uh peterson's sidekicks you know he mm-hmm. they used to tour together when they did the live speaking tours um he and many others have taken like internet breaks. They'll, yeah. they'll take like or electron breaks where like literally for a week or two, complete nothing, zero, nada, not a single electronic device on them, which is that I think has some health benefits. I, I think that's extremely good. Right. Um, but again, are you the ostrich, you know, with your head in the sand a little bit? Yeah, maybe for two weeks just to catch your wind again, but then to, you know, hopefully put in perspective things of uh the here and now as opposed to just the stress that comes electronically sometimes sure um how about that i I think i can be a useful tool not a a lifestyle forever and ever because then again like you say i think you're uh you know an element of ostriching yeah if that's a word if that's a verb we'll make it yeah yeah Yeah, for (laughs) sure crazy crazy yeah so time will tell, right? But again, it's it's something to keep track of, and and for me, just an ever changing thing. But yeah, it's hard to know. But I, I'm curious for you too. You said you homeschooled your kids. Oh yeah, yeah. Can you get into that? Uh, I guess I'm curious oh, sure. about like a. I, I do want to get back to the medical portion no, no, too. No, that's good. The the homeschooling thing. A, what got you into it? Yeah. What was it? What you expected? Uh, what were the high arching themes? 
eventually I want to tell you, and I, you probably get this quite a bit, but I, I'd say I'm for the, there's a part of me that is currently like not on board with homeschooling my kids. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to get into that eventually. Cause I'm curious to get your, like, I've lived through this and I've yeah. been through this, but so sure. can you get into the, oh, the sure. start of it? What it and went again, through? Yeah. All credit to my true love, of course, because yeah. half the time I was gone. Okay. And there's lots of ways and reasons. Uh, I'll say we had our daughter, mm -hmm. our firstborn, who's now like 30, right? Yeah. In kindergarten in Rhode Island. Okay. And um, it was, so that was like normal public school, kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And there was a few elements there. There was like, even from the get-go, we realized that like we do have very um, definitive, foundational, like priorities, mm -hmm. and and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Your your um, not priorities, but your your ethic. You know sure. your your goals, like who, what you stand for, your principles. Principles, principles. yes. Yeah. And it was hard because even in kindergarten in Rhode Island, we were like, wow, they they have different ones. They they theirs are different than ours mm -hmm. and is that okay or not okay so there was a bunch of factors that went into it not the least of which so that was that was a thought that like sure hmm, do we want people that we don't necessarily know because you're not going to know them that well and and definitely can't control and oh by the way they're they're employed by the state and even if you do private school they're still like it's outside the purview of what you're um, controlling mm -hmm. and influencing where this mind, this person is going to develop into. Sure. Now, not isolated. It was also a, hey, we moved a lot, a lot. My oldest, uh, our oldest boy just got married. He lives down in Milwaukee. We done the, did the math and he would have been in about a dozen schools from age, you know, from first grade to, to high school. If sure. we did the traditional move somewhere uh, and, and get a new school, with moves and sub moves, like a lot of places you go to, uh, once you move there, you're on base for a while, then off base or off base and then on base, or even in the same locale, you, you move around a little bit for a variety of reasons, usually financial, like it's cheaper one way or the other. And literally he would have been about 12 hmm. different schools in 12 years. Yeah. So the continuity and the consistency, and I'll just say, and the standard, we, we teach to a certain standard. My wife teaches to a standard and I contribute to that as much as possible, but 80, 90% at least is my true love. Uh, she literally dropped out of the workforce to homeschool the kids, right? Yeah. We used a variety of curriculums. There's a whole milieu. There's a bunch of different curriculums you can choose from. We chose a sunlight curriculum, which is like a literature rich one where mm. the big thing with that was the read alouds at night, every night going mm. to bed, we'd read for an hour or two with the kids. And at one point then we had to do two different sets, like one for the younger kids and then one for the older kids. Initially it's, 80% reading, 20% discussion. Eventually, as they get older, especially towards high school, you're still doing read-alouds. You're doing 50% reading and 50% discussion on the topic and things. And, and it's very much like a getting to know your kids in a way that it's just no other way to do it. So that yeah. was like the sunlight. There's also a curriculum called Tapestry of Grace we used. Also, we pulled in Singapore math and math you see is a good curriculum. There's a group in uh, Tennessee, husband and wife archaeologist team, they do the Lukean project, Luke, L-U-K-E, then I-O-N. They were archaeologists and they teach the classical languages, Greek and Latin, 
but they also do like the witty wordsmith and basic vocabulary skills. It depends on the level you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So the point is you draw on these different things and you can build something that's consistent, whether you're in Washington State or Florida <clears throat> or Maryland or uh, North Carolina, all these places we've lived, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of keep it going. Um, so it was a relationship. If you ask my wife, why did you homeschool? It was a relationship thing first. Yeah. It was the relationship with the kids. And for for me then, very close with that was the continuity, the consistency, and I'll just say it, the excellence. Like we, sure. you don't progress um, until you master, which is a different standard than in the school system. In the school system, you get 20 kids and some are going to be on the bottom five, some are going to be in the top five and 10 are going to be in the middle. Right. But at the end of the week, you got to go to the next thing because that's what the curriculum says and you got to get through the curriculum. Whereas for us, it's like, no, you don't, you don't get it. Unless you are master of X, you don't go on to Y, sure. which is a different kind of mindset. Um, and with that mindset, you know, you get pretty good results if I can say so. Our, our mm-hmm. oldest boys, you know, national merit scholar and got like, you know, basically a decent scholarship and all that jazz. Not that that's not the goal, right? but it, boy, it's a nice, um, what's it called? Um, side benefit. Side effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, yeah. that, that works out. Uh, my oldest boy's uh, orthopedic um, surgeon resident down in Milwaukee. Hmm. All our kids, um, we only got the two left local, uh, the ones at Michigan Tech, and again, uh, homeschooled, and he's been dean's list every semester, every time at Michigan Tech, Mackey. He starts his senior year here in what, like um, a few weeks. And our youngest, our anchor kid, if you will, uh, just turned 18 and starts at Michigan Tech as a computer guy here in the fall. Yeah. So the socialization thing people got problems with, they're like, oh, little Johnny's going to be not able to talk to human beings and be all awkward. Right. Um, there's a lot of organizations. It depends where you are. There's homeschool co-ops in different places where we contributed and worked with where the nice lady from Puerto Rico teaches Spanish and maybe we you know teach some chemistry or something you know there's different you know, cooperate and do some group things that wasn't the majority of what we did we did a lot of something called ncfca which is national christian uh forensics okay ncfca national christian forensics and communication association and mm-hmm. they're nationwide speech and public um speech and debate sure and every year they have a resolution and there's lincoln douglas and um Team policy. Team policy, it's two versus two. Lincoln Douglas is one versus one. The Lincoln Douglas is a values debate. And for example, for the season, it's like, okay, resolved. I don't know if you know anything about debate, but it's awesome. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually, and of course, in any given debate season, you do so much research because you, you, you're not just speaking your opinion. You got to mm-hmm. document and have evidence based on on things especially team policy versus lincoln douglas lincoln douglas though is a values debate and for example resolved cooperation is a better means of attaining your goals than competition that statement Mm -hmm. is the resolution for for let's say lincoln douglas and any given debate tournament you will have to take the pro side three or four times and the negative side three or four times okay so Mm -hmm. you understand you're it's the same resolution but on three different occasions, you'll have to stand up and defend that statement. And on three occasions, you'll stand up and try to defeat that statement against an opponent. Does hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. It just sure. teaches thinking and public speaking. Right. The public speaking aspect of it, they break up the debate rounds with public speaking. And public speaking is prepared oratory or, what's even better, extemporaneous, which is like, uh, this is probably the best one. You have the guy walk into the room, the student, and on this 
table, there are little three by five cards, let's say, and it's covered with three by five cards, and on each, and they're all face down, and they pick at random three three by five cards, and they pick one of those three by five cards because on on the opposite side is a quote, let's say, and for example, I remember the one was um, Abraham Lincoln said, uh, if given two hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend the first hour and a half sharpening my ax. Mm. It's like a quote. It's, or I'm paraphrasing. It's sure. something along those lines. And then they have two minutes to prepare in their mind, and with notes, a five-minute speech on that. Hmm. Wow. Talk about, that's good skills, right? Yeah. Anyways, NCFCA, it's nationwide. Great, great asset for us. And we would ride that circuit. Like, you know, there's hockey families that travel for hockey. We were definitely NCFCA because... If you're in a certain region, there's a bunch of different debate tournaments and speeching tournaments like this over a given two or three month period. So you see the same families. And of course, they're all homeschooling families. Mm-hmm. You, you have a lot of tight family connections and things like that, if that makes sense. So for sure. the socialization aspect is kind of mitigated to that. And my son did, like my ortho guy did a lot of hockey, right? And right. Um, it the hockey thing especially all our different organizations you know they didn't really care if you're in a high school there was more like club hockey uh the one point in time he was in a high school league and eventually uh for a variety of reasons and i'll tell you why because he was pretty doggone good yeah uh he got kicked up to the adult league the, the coach came over and said hey you can either go travel or to the adult league at night with the cops and the firemen and stuff uh, only because he was getting kind of different competition level than these other club high school guys um, and the catch was the travel team. If you'd ever, in your someday travel hockey, if that's in your thing, yeah. Oh, okay, Smokey brother, big bucks, right? You right. know, it's like it was like maybe two grand a year to to be in that, and then plus every weekend you're traveling up and down the East Coast. This was when we were in like Norfolk area, and they go as far as north as Boston or New York, and as far south as Atlanta. A lot of money, a lot of time, travel for the weekends, and that's a that's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. and especially lots of people do that big travel thing, but we couldn't float the money and that time commitment was hard so we just uh he'd be on the ice at 10 at night with the cops and the firemen i'd be there cheering mm-hmm. him on it was awesome it was very good anyways we're getting back to homeschooling right and i've been yeah. on a tangent i apologize but bottom line is that homeschooling was very 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 beneficial for us it's not for everybody yeah there's that same element of self-sacrifice my wife gave up a lot how much she gave up everything right, right for that everything she gave up her best 20 <clears throat> years right of you know, quote unquote productivity doing her career. She's like an occupational therapist by training, right? And had the degree and all that and had invested in that, but then switched to basically full-time homeschooling mom, which is not without its frustrations Mm -hmm. because there's certain days where, you know, people aren't as enthused about wanting to do their uh, multiplication tables and everything else. And it's like an ongoing one of the best quotes we heard, and it's very true. It's like, it's not a daily thing. It's a, it's a eyes on the prize, years long thing. Because if it's a daily thing, you'll pull your hair out and quit the second day. Right. Because it's challenging, right? Like anything else worthwhile. Uh, but but that's what we did. Yeah. So homeschooling. There you go. That you could have my wife on sometime. Yeah. She could tell you. She could teach a class. I mean, she literally homeschooled six kids from kindergarten up through graduation, and they're all. Um, you know, now, except for the two boys in college, they're all college grads and have done, you know, what you call quote, quote unquote, well, you know, right. Not right. that, uh, that means much, but you know, it, anyways. Yeah. 
So that that makes total sense. The the schooling portion to me, oh, how sure. you, how you said, yeah, uh, you know, your, one of your kids would be have been in twelve different schools. Like no joke, uh, with the moving that that continuity uh, right. was very because and I'll tell you something else. Uh, we you know school all year. We yeah. we we don't take like quote unquote a summer break. We we would just keep it on, and that way if we need to take a week off here and there and go to you know Atlanta to see the aquarium and stuff, you know we. We are the masters of our school schedule, but that also meant that our school year was continuous. We didn't take like a quote unquote summer break. Does that make sense? For sure. So it's very non-traditional, although it's more and more people are doing it. And even when we were doing it, there was so much support depending on where you are, yeah. different co-ops and, and consortiums and different things like that. And um, you meet these people and typically you'll have a similar mindset on lots of things and they form your community, right? Right. Oh, and I'll just say it, there's homeschool orchestra. And hmm. our, I mean, there's there's a lot of different things that we've done where our primary probable social group, no matter where we were, have been our homeschool friends, if that makes sense. For sure, for sure. So a few things, again, th that part makes sense because the stability in a kid's life is yeah. very beneficial. Huge. And in a, in a military setting where you're not Huge. have a stable home setting, right. at least school is home. Yeah. Stability, stable right. for them, right? Yeah. Um, so that part makes sense. Also, again, the, the like being in charge of their... Yeah, their knowledge base, what you're researching, what books and, you're reading, and stuff. And reflecting sense, their right? strengths and weaknesses. Because yeah. every kid, no joke, is going to have their particular strengths and weaknesses. And you can adjust on a real-time basis to those strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. you know? So and if we were going to play the debate game, oh, sure. right? Pull yeah. up a card and, and somebody no said, yeah. should you homeschool or should you not? Yeah. And, and I was going to debate the you should not homeschool. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, I would come out and say something to the effect of, again, the socialization thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to be very intentional right. with that, right? Right. At least make sure it's a part of their life. And, Concur. You know, let the, yeah, it has to be very important and very right. intentional. Right. But also on the on the education thing, like I, th I think education is a very good thing. I felt like the education I had at Calumet was oh, awesome. Sure. Yeah, mine was um, too. I, I went to a public school and it was top notch, right? right. It, it prepared me very well for very high level mm -hmm. ac academics. So, and then too is uh, so many angles, right? But so the education is very important, and I think you could have a world where there are a lot of homeschoolers who do not take it very important. Very, I agree. Uh, very, like you should take this very seriously, almost more seriously than anything else you've ever done in your life, yeah. right? Whereas there's an element of a, I guess there's just spectrums of. Of, right. of types of people, there's, right? Let but. me tell you, brother, there's uh, movements within homeschooling, which is called like unschooling, which is like, oh my goodness. Right. They, they don't have a curriculum. They don't have a structure. They're like, oh, Johnny's at home with me and mm -hmm. living with me day to day. He'll help me with, you know, figuring out the grocery list and he'll learn spelling that way and right. maybe the math. Of the, and you're like, that's, whoa, Nelly, that's, that's right. a little bit different. Now, so just like everything, there's the spectrum of, uh, people who are probably better equipped than others to do it and more um, organized for doing it. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, um, my wife's mom was a second grade school teacher. Mm -hmm. And when we started doing this, as you might imagine, uh, a little uh, resistance, a little pushback, a right. little like, what in the dickens are you doing and why are you doing it? Right. Okay. Um, so universally i'll say this that it again reflects on that thing we we're talking about the individual versus the group you know i will respect the individual's right to to do it even mm -hmm. if they're making a mistake doing it um so you got to give them the you know the quote-unquote freedom to do that and especially in certain circumstances it works out 
very, very well. Mm-hmm. Depending on the state, every state's got various laws applying to it. Some, they don't care at all. Some, you got to write a letter every year asking permission. Some states want to see annual testing scores. Are you staying on course and on speed with the other kids in that you know school district mm-hmm. uh, as far as standardized tests? So state by state, it, it varies, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, it I'm sure it drives... Uh, the teacher unions crazy that they even exist and there's people that are like are you kidding me you're Mm -hmm. not qualified to do that you're not a teacher whatever but i'll just say for the reasons listed i mean it's worked out very very well for us and we would recommend it but it's not without significant buy-in and sacrifice that's for doggone sure Mm -hmm. for sure and again to me it only makes sense like you're telling me your story and it's like yeah absolutely yeah. makes sense right yeah but again i'm concerned about the other end of the spectrum where they're not being intentional right. and they're they're just right. sitting at home the kids right. never get watching out tv or watching something. tv oh, or, yeah I, brutal. I, that to me just kills me I, I, it does i agree i agree um yeah you know i i hear you and the only thing i'll say is you know valid points but i'll say if johnny's gonna sit in front of a tv you know i will say that let's say johnny goes to school and now i'm sure the teacher's that in the area here and anywhere else will tell you mm-hmm. um, they can tell whose parents have buy-in and are invested in Johnny's education. Cause right. a lot of it, no matter if you're going to school here or at home or whatever, it's, it's gotta be a significant parental investment mm-hmm. uh, in, in that. Like, um, and um, it's frustrating i will just say my wife had a friend one time who a traditional you know kids went to school and you know we just kind of cringe a little bit because the the mom was saying oh johnny is um you know he's he's doing so bad in math and reading those doggone teachers and and we're like well well you know you could maybe you know step up your stuff and you you dare not say that though otherwise you know you don't want to offend people but Absolutely, there's got to be. I, I mentioned earlier, my dad had a very high personal investment in education, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you weren't on the honor roll, you were grounded. You right. couldn't do anything. You couldn't do any fun things at all. You couldn't go to a movie. Um, and back then, of course, it's a movie theater. It's like, you know, uh, but it was like, it was very much like an education mindset right from the get go. So, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, again, I, I, I I found huge value in education. Oh, right? sure. And I think that the, you hear the argument of like, oh, I'm never going to use this again in my life or why do I need to read this right. book or whatever else. Like, Think of all these lessons they teach you. A, discipline, perseverance, right. Right. doing something you don't want to do even right. though just because you should, right? Uh, but also it teaches you how to like be a lifelong learner, right? That's so, the end goal, right? So brother, I'll tell you, the biggest thing we learned in homeschooling was with each year as they progress, more and more and more they are that like our yeah. kids by the time they got to calculus or pre-calculus and all that jazz we have some instructional stuff uh but it's it's mostly them right mm-hmm. same same um we did like latin um and they, they have flashcards and they have different things and they had it through this this group like i mentioned the the lukian project but by that point i never took latin I, mm-hmm. I couldn't do any of that stuff right so it's 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 very teaching that value of self-guided education that you've got to pursue with a passion your own education if you want to get any better for sure right so from the outside looking in and just making blanket statements without knowing anything at all my current view is that like 30 percent of the people homeschooling should be homeschooling i don't know if that's accurate what's your gut reaction to that i don't know they they've done like statistical analysis where the average homeschool 
like standardized tests are higher than the average public school. Mm-hmm. Um, like any statistic, there's you know lies, damn lies, and statistics. Mm-hmm. You've heard that before. Where I don't know, you know, how much you can rely on that kind of stuff. Um, I will say, how about this? It like like I hate to weasel out of this, but I'll say it depends. Okay. It depends. We we found it very very um uh what's the word for it i don't know just very fruitful how about that like we we found the people that we were with doing it were very very good and you did have various mindsets from um literally from almost tickling the unschooling Mm -hmm. to more rigid where they're just bringing school in and they literally have a dinger like a bell on the Mm -hmm. on the quote unquote the teacher's desk the mom's desk and a chalkboard and everything is like mimicking bringing a school into their living room Mm -hmm. as opposed to something in between so right anyways so i i asked that question not to not to instigate more to just throw all all my blanket uninformed belief is to get your perspective to test my own yeah i I, um like a lot of things how about this we've seen some that make us cringe right like you were like oh oh yeah and then we've seen some that are like you know that have worked okay and I'll and just say, our, ours, thank God, ours have worked pretty good. And one last thing, um, we have done a lot of, as they're approaching college age, I mentioned my youngest starts at Michigan Tech here in the fall, and my uh, next youngest is a, a senior. As they start where kids would be in junior, senior in high school, we start focusing on uh, some community college work and CLEP exams and things like mm-hmm. that. And so we, we augment um, as much as we can in a robust fashion with more structured, organized things, okay? Sure. And especially the things that my wife and I don't feel as equipped. Uh, I'll confess to you, you know, I took calculus and stuff, but I couldn't do a calculus problem for you now if you put a gun to my head, right? And I've, right. I had like four semesters back in the day, but I, I wouldn't know, you know, any about that stuff at this point. Right. Uh, so, so that's how that goes. Yeah. And I also... I wanted to get your perspective because I have little kids. My yeah, daughter will be you. in school you. next fall, so Great. a year and a half from now. Right. So, and, and, and it's also not fair to you. Like, I'm not asking you. No, to, no, you no, need to defend homeschooling. No, I'm truly no, just trying I to get, get your you. opinion. Is and there perspective support in this yeah. area for it? Is there an organization in this or in this area that uh, is set up? Yeah. Like, you know, the Keweenaw Homeschool Cooperative or the Keweenaw Homeschooling, uh, blah blah blah, or like a any any kind of organization like that. If you peel back the edges somewhere. I, I bet you somewhere here there is. And yeah, if, I and think if you, so. And if you talk yeah. to them, they might be able to give you better guidance as far as like, because even if, even like I said, we homeschooled across all these different states and it was very variable. Some mm-hmm. were like non-existent. Some were like super organized, super robust. And they do organized field trips and they'd go, I remember out in Washington state, you know, they'd go to the salmon hatchery and all these field trips and all these things set up and like special behind the scenes at like the, you know, Coliseum, all these different things set up for these homeschool groups coming in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it it varied on where you were. I will say like most things in life, it's what you put into it. And and it comes down to the individual as far as like, if you're willing to put time, energy, and I'll just say it's money, you know, if homeschool conventions and you go and you drop a few hundred bucks on curriculum and different things, um, it's it's definitely um, an investment. But the benefit, if you ask my wife, who again, six kids from kindergarten through graduation, with I would call what any any school administrator in the country would mm-hmm. say is pretty decent results, okay? Right. Um, I would say 
she would say it's a relationship thing that you're you're really gunning for the most right. uh, our read alouds at night um you know like i mentioned we don't do the tv thing we haven't for decades but uh the read alouds at night with the kids is how they got to know us and we got to know them more and to discuss big thinking things yeah. uh there's different series of books the ralph moody series man of the family horse of a different color where you know it's and again i told you before i like history and biography better and it's true this is biography of a guy growing up in colorado um back in the early 1900s and his dad dies on a ranching uh accident and he as like a young man 12 13 becomes the man of the family hence the name of the book man of the family fantastic read huh. fantastic read both for the there's an element of history if you can appreciate that as far as what people in 1905 let's say uh outside of denver what their lives were like on a daily basis and what his mother and his and his lots of little kids you know she was widowed his mother was widowed with uh i think he had two others at least uh, three others i'll say four kids in the family but he's the man of the family at 13 mm -hmm. and how he provides for the family and what he does fascinating reading really good mm. and then of course we go back to the classics like every year we try to read i think uh ben hur uh cover to cover and also uh the robe uh you know the chronicles of narnia of course read those over and over and over and uh what other ones um uh, you know the read alouds were a very good opportunity for them to get to us know us and our values and and vice versa and as i mentioned as they're younger it's much more they're in receive mode and we're in transmit mode 90 10 but by the time they're junior high it's like 50 50 at least you know yeah. we're talking and doing stuff and it's good yeah so i i hope Truly, again, this conversation is partially to test my own biases, and oh, yeah, so I hope yeah, I'm not course. coming across. No, as not like, at all, not at all. I'm not joking. I, yeah. and, and no, no, uh, I, I, and then, brother, I get it. Are you right. kidding me? I totally get it, and I get the concerns and I get the the query, and um, I get it. Right. I completely get it. And, and these are obviously conversations that you've a talked about a oh, hundred sure. times over. Your wife has talked about, yeah. thought about in depth. You've researched whatever yeah. else, but the last concern that i would have on a whole oh, yeah, and i'm yeah. truly even taking this for a personal opportunity because yeah, if this yeah. is something i would ever consider i these are huge questions to me sure is the of course the social side you said you had that yeah. but also what about like the uh like somebody may homeschool because their kid is getting bullied yeah or or that but like is and, and obviously extreme situations you need to make a change right yeah. but is there also like do you want a a protected kid or do you want a strong kid right like almost you need that perseverance that right. struggle the the right. fight in the schoolyard the whatever else did, did right. you find that your kids were still able to get that through uh, and uh, i don't know that yeah, you need that so. but like no, no i get you yeah. i get you um boy that's that's a good aspect i will say we've always had enough like neighborhood interaction that, okay. that was part of it we lived on base a lot like so it's not like our kids were in a petri dish off sure you know, in, in a in a biodome somewhere yeah um uh good questions i i don't know um that i i mean our kids it's not like they got in a bunch of fights or sure. nothing like that and neither yeah. did me i mean for that matter but but yeah. but that ability to how do you deal with a difficult person right? right um i will say later later my daughter who's a dental hygienist when she's in dental school for that right her mm -hmm. roommate you know assigned by the university or whatever um was challenging right yeah. in terms of and and it's a um you know how do you deal with those personal interactions and mm -hmm. it's just a maturity thing and overtime thing and day by day thing right like i guess anything else like um there's a lot to be gained eventually it's, 
this is kind of getting away from homeschooling, but when right. you're starting to earn your wings and be off on your own and you have your first roommate that isn't your family and and they're annoying, right? Mm-hmm. They, they do things differently than you and what do you do with that and different cleanliness standards or whatever, right? And just how you deal with other people in that kind of intimate setting. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're saying is more like even prequel to that. Right. I get it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really remember that being as big an issue, I got to admit. Okay. Know. And, and it, life isn't a, uh, how well you did isn't a metric based upon how much you got in fights. But I'm just oh. saying, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. You know I mean? Yeah, that's right. Like, but still, yeah. truly, there I is like, benefit. Like well, sure. Said, no, I, I get you. I think the answer is, like you said, just don't live in a Petri dish. Right. 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 You're on base. You're doing these things. Right. Your kids are playing baseball, whatever. Right. They're, exactly. they're in those settings Big where time. those things are going to happen. That and they're going to learn those lessons. And that's all that matters, right? That is true. That's yeah. very true. And I'll tell you, these homeschool, um, like debate, um, speech and debate uh, leagues, you know, they have, it's usually like literally a three-day thing. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like practically all day mm-hmm. of speech and debate. And of course, between rounds, they go out and play ultimate Frisbee and, and bunch of stuff with these other kids. And, and um, it usually ends with somebody breaking an arm, believe it or not, because right. they're always playing ultimate Frisbee and somebody always breaks an arm, always. I mean, yeah. every, every, every time they get together for a tournament, you know things like that, but right. but they they see each other. As I mentioned, different spectrums. Yeah, there is definitely, and not to get too theological, but there was definitely. Um, I mentioned the unschooling movement that we saw some of, the classic classic that you would see too is some very, uh, very conservative in all regards mm-hmm. homeschooling. They call them the gene gene jumpers. In other words, you would look at them and they're almost like quasi Amish or something. Sure. They're very, very conservative in how they dress and how they do and all that jazz. And that's fine. I mean, that's that's their thing. And we we'd run into a bunch of those. Uh, we've met people that are kind of homesteaders, mm-hmm. that homeschooling is just part of being off grid and having their own. They are not really done with society, but they want to be touching society as less as possible. We've run sure. into those people. And again, God bless them. You know, they, right. oh, in fact, we knew a family one of their big side gigs was selling um, pure milk, like not pasteurized milk, mm-hmm. which you can get in Dutch for, of course, if you're, if certain localities, uh, if you're selling, you know, Bessie's milk, but without, you just milk Bessie, right? And right. sell it to your neighbors. Um, some people pursue that, but you can, you know, you can get in Dutch. And so there's like an illicit market for it in different places. Um, Anyways, a bunch of things like that, you know, pretty cool. Right, um, right. Uh, anyways. <laughs> yeah, and I have a, a, like, even that side of it, side of it. like yeah. I grew up on a farm and, oh, nice. I, and yeah. this stemmed from hunting, right? Yeah, this whole exactly. podcast. So yeah, like I enjoy right. the more, yeah. like create your own and that right. kind of a thing. So I think right. there's, I think there's benefit there, but I think whatever your angle is or whatever your thing is, right. as long as it goes back to what we first started with is, are you being intentional? Are you, yeah, right. are you really asking yourself the questions of how right. does this affect my kid? How does this affect us? Right. I think as long as you're doing that and you're putting what you believe right. a, a thought out process forward, right. I think that's all that matters. I, I yeah. will give you one last caveat, one last uh, cautionary statement is that there is a struggle for worldview in the world. Sure. Yep. And if you don't think the public school system and the unions and the government is heavily invested in making sure they project their values and their worldview onto your kid Mm -hmm. from day one as a five-year-old to the time they graduate so that they they will say the right things and think the right things and eventually when they get about 13 look at you and go oh what do you know my teacher mr smith he says your values are not appropriate okay 
that is something to think about. Less so, I think, in a small town like this, yeah. much more so in a big city. But even here, um, how about this? When I was in Virginia, we were in Virginia. I was, I was starting medical school. So I was, uh, all right. So we had at that point, like I said, seven-year-old, five-year-old, two-year-old. So um, that was when I started. So by the time I finished, we had like an 11-year-old and, and we can go back down, okay? Mm -hmm. In fact, we had our fifth when I was in medical school. So we had five kids. But I went at one point, pretty early on, um, to the school system there in Virginia, Northern Virginia, and said, hey, new to the area, can I see the curriculum that you're using this year? We've homeschooled other places, but I'm interested mm -hmm. in maybe putting my kids in school here. Can I see the curriculum? And you better believe that was not met with open arms mm. and transparency. That was like, um, who are you? You're just a parent. You get, no, well, no don't worry about that we'll take care of that and i'm like no you don't understand i just want to know what books you're using this year what do you what what math and i'll tell you the honest god truth and maybe they were reading between the lines i wanted to know what math textbooks they were using so that i could maybe look those up and buy them myself so i could teach from that at home right sure, right and so it was kind of secondary gain but it was an honest effort too to see like what curriculum you're using oh brother they were not uh, happy or transparent to have that conversation and basically just said, ah, no, yeah, go away. Mm -hmm. And if you want to enroll your kid, great. And otherwise fill out these forms in triplicate. And, you know, uh, they were not, um, how can I say, it? Uh, convivial, con uh, they, they were not um, without some angst with that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so sure. it depends on where you are. Right. And, and obviously school to school, district to district, state by state, I betcha. Mm -hmm. But, you better believe that the world we live in, um, when I say the world, the powers that be, and that includes the state and the structure and the, you know, all that, have very uh, definite goals for your children. And right. they may or may not be the same goals that you have. Right. So um, eh, just something else to consider. Yeah, for sure. So again, even thinking about that, and this isn't a, a statement to say one is better than the yeah, other, yeah, right? Course. But it, when I w went through school, for sure there were things that were taught to us that went against what our family's core values were. Yeah. And you knew that that was a political thing. You yeah. went one in here, out the other. Right. It, it never even entered your you mind. Because you had good right? communication with your folks. You know, sure. that's a big thing. That's huge. So right. that, that's cool as long as, you, as long as you've discussed it. And, and hopefully, um, like we've had discussions with all our kids, when is it appropriate to like, you know, take a stand. We talked about Jordan Peterson taking a stand and, and like as an individual, mm -hmm. when do you become the nail that's above the other plywood right. know, or to get hammered down? Or when do you, when do you make a stand versus when do you don't? Um, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah. I want a quick story. Yeah. At the beginning of the COVID thing, there's something called the great Barrington declaration. Okay. So there are a group of physicians who early on identified that, Oh, this whole lockdown thing, it's actually, um, potentially not without its major medical um, side effects. Yeah. You're going to delay care for cancer people. You're going to have major unanticipated consequences from this lockdown. So maybe a better way is to take those people that are vulnerable and isolate those people and if you read the Great Barrington Declaration, they've got many things that are basically like, essentially it's against lockdown. Mm -hmm. It's the first pandemic or first epidemic where we took not sick people and isolated them, but we took healthy people and isolated them. 
That's that's brand new. That's a new right. way to do business. Okay, and it's very again authoritarian. Very, and here's the catch. Um, it was identified early by people saying that is going to have bad consequences that you might not be able to see right now. And I signed this thing. And in fact, I will tell you what I did. I put on my ASA, my American Society of Anesthesiology, we have this little daily blog thing that you share, best way to do things. And and it's a, a discussion posting board, right? And I actually did make a stand. I actually put on there, hey, have you considered reading? Sorry, are you aware of this thing? This is a declaration by physicians, scientists, uh, epidemiologists that maybe our approach is not ideal that we should mm-hmm. we should as you know we should consider a different way of doing this uh, and I put that out there and the, it went back and forth a little bit of course people and it's hilarious actually you can tell the people's responses by where they lived yeah. I and mean, this is a weird weird thing but like if you were from California or from New York City you were like oh you Nazi like what are you thinking no just obey just do just whatever no they're no they're obviously secondary gain of this these people who are signing this declaration or you know it was just very funny how high right and hostile and aggressive some of the responses were if you were a New York City person or a California person as opposed to other people who were more supportive and at least I was like and trust me in my most politically neutral hey read this if this is something that you weren't aware of be aware of it and consider it and just consider what they're talking about pros cons and and if you want it you can sign it mm-hmm. um and it was just within a little bit it was it got shut down but that was like the last time that i did anything like that at the national level like literally it's on my freaking national asa board and then i realized after that um you know what ultimately you know it it did kind of subdue my um desire to be the nail that's sticking out i'm yeah. like you know what doesn't matter what i freaking think you know right. it's like we were talking earlier about we see things in the world that boy it'd be nice to be a different way and what you need is like somebody to lead and to like try to make that happen and it's harder if you just have this cloud of people who have similar thoughts you need someone to stand up yeah and who it's hard to be that person and at a certain point i'm just like nobody cares what the dickens i think so just shut your pie hole just keep working and just don't worry about it and that's what i did after that i was like just screw it because after about um it, it did get lots of posts and like feedback back and forth but after a while some of them because like, i respond very politely and nicely to some of them mm-hmm. um and like oh i don't think they're qualified and i'm like well i think they're probably more qu-. look the guy went to stanford he's got you know, this guy went to oxford he's got degrees from these schools mm-hmm. this is why he's projecting this i haven't seen a fallacy in what he's saying and it makes sense in lots of ways um, anyways, like a lot of stupid online social things, right? It became like the tone wasn't sure. like this tone. It was obviously not a tone of two brothers sitting across from each other, but more that electronic tone that we talk about where you feel at ease to just to get a little bit hot headed and, and uh, very strident in what you're saying. And so literally the moderator of the thing after like about 12, maybe 20 of these things said, all right, we're done with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, and, and it just poof went away. And then after that, I'm like, all right, yeah, forget it. Yeah. Um, how do we get here? All well, about being the nail, I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. But I do think there is a, 
Yeah, hard to say, but I, to me, there is a valuable thing, the fact that you did that and, and were willing to do that. Because again, yeah. the, if you're willing to stand up and say what everybody else is thinking, yeah. that gives other people courage to not go with the lie. If, was, the, if it is a lie, right? To say, right. you know what? You're right. I've been thinking this too. And I'm really glad that you, who's super credible in this world, has I, actually said that. I remember yeah. it was a lot of the stuff was so hostile. That it's yeah. depressing and kind of discouraging and demoralizing because they'd be like, oh, you know, you're you're like an all small town so what do you mm-hmm. know we're suffering here in new york city and right. i'm like you don't you don't get it no i get the suffering people are suffering people are dying this is a tragedy this is bad but is the overall approach appropriate and can we do better right and, right. and are we being we talked about this before the humility that is essential for being a good physician but also yeah. a good person for god's sakes you know you got to balance the confidence of your abilities with that humility am i am i and I mentioned earlier what we're lacking right now across the political spectrum and across the business spectrum and across the media hmm. is humility and people just saying, here's an idea. It could be right, but I might be all jacked up and let's pursue it together in 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 collaboration. Man, you'll never hear a politician say, oh, I jacked that up. I'm so stupid. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. You'll never hear that, right? Or, right. or businesses for that matter or anything. And it's just... Um, that's too bad, right? Mm-hmm. That would be nice if people approached everything with a sense of, could I be wrong? Oh, was I wrong? Can I make that right? Can I do better next time? You know, you want to be living, that should be one of your core fundamental principles, you know? Right. Is there a, that leads me back to a question I had before or thought to myself before, is there a, there's got to be some like in the medical world, right? No. Or could you, it'd be awesome if you could apply it to the medical world, to the business world, to everything like a model and ethos behind everything like the maybe the slogan is above all else humility something like that right Man, wouldn't that be nice or you know in medicine we say first do first no, do no harm, harm. Yeah. and this this pandemic it also destroyed okay it destroyed several things i mean i mean obviously oh we're talking all medicine aside all mm-hmm. vaccines aside all that stuff aside but uh it destroyed um informed consent yeah uh, that's not a small thing. That's not a small thing. Up until now, like if I go to an anesthesia conference today and I go up on the stage to talk and present uh, how to do medicine in the UP, I've got to start my presentation with a, literally, it's a slide. The very first slide that you got to give is, you know, hey, I'm Sean from Hancock. But the second slide is, and these are my disclosures. I receive funding from the Merck uh, company for this. And mm. I get speaking fees from this. It's a the very first thing you do is disclose where your potential conflicts of interest are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that, that's gone away. Okay. The, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH all have huge, huge conflicts of interest in terms of the millions they get from big pharma and they don't disclose that. And that's, that's not very healthy. They should start every pronouncement. We're the CDC and we say this, but Oh, by the way, we got 30 million from, Pfizer right and just so that and and it's not that they can't say we recommend this but that should be on the same page it should be like oh and by the way we received huge funding from big pharma because everybody who receives that guidance from a higher you know these these accrediting authorities should know very transparently hmm it's just something that makes you go hmm right Mm -hmm. with informed consent it's the same thing with every procedure you do 
I don't care what the dickens I'm doing. I don't care if I'm giving you a therapeutic a head rubbing. I'm going to come over there, Logan, and it'll, it'll creep you out. But mm. you've got a headache. Yeah. I'm not going to give you an aspirin. <laughs> I'm just going to rub your forehead like like a loving mother would would to a 12-year-old, right? right? Like, okay, here's your here's your loving forehead rub. Still, there's informed consent. If I did that without consenting you, that's assault. I'm yeah. touching you, and that's that's not good. Any informed consent for a procedure involves discussing with the patient these are the risks these are the benefits and oh by the way without fear or favor without me saying oh i can do this but i'll give you 20 bucks right because that 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 shifts the balance to something that's not good or right. oh, if you don't let me do it i'll i'll break your arm okay that's not good either right? right so without fear or favor or benefit you know besides the actual intervention it has risks and benefits do you consent to this and as it goes back to what we're talking about the individual the right. sacredness of the individual you are a walking talking miracle sacred in your individuality and you should have the ability to decide different things now we balance this on a daily basis like the old you know example they always give is we oh but we have red lights right you got to stop the red light because for the good of the many we have traffic laws that do things okay i'll, I'll buy that mm -hmm. in medicine though it's always been very clear that people can refuse care including the obvious one the common when we deal with even locally and all over the place there's certain uh religious elements that don't accept blood product okay that's their that's their thing and for god's sakes you don't give them blood if mm -hmm. it's in their sacred beliefs not to receive blood right and 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 you don't it it's like and even if it results in their death and the consent that you give for them is understand we are okay if you refuse blood products it could lead to your death do you understand that and they're like yep and they'll sign and good right it's an informed adult discussion between individuals and with mutual respect and with the whole vaccine thing of course all that went out the window all yeah. that went out the window and it sets a very bad precedent where if the government says it's for your own good remember the good of the many mm -hmm. not the individual and just do it we're just going to do it um whoo nelly right. Nelly, that's that's a very bad precedent, right? Yeah. Uh, so that that was one of the casualties or problems with this whole freaking pandemic was the death of informed consent, uh, and without a murmur from most of the entities that are supposed to protect us, the AMA or whatever, all mm. these entities that are kind of, you know, have got their own interests, right? So it's ooh, that's a hard one. That's right. a hard one. How do you overcome that? How, All right. Do you do you need somebody? Because it seems like anybody who tries to voice that concern is You'll instantly get your license pulled by yeah. the state. You know, right. no joke. And uh, it goes back to that disinformation thing we discussed. There are very strong powers that are influencing state boards of medicine now. That if you're a physician and go against any kind of, you know, the consensus mm -hmm. medical opinion that you're disinformation, you're an outlier, and you can get your license pulled. Now, I'll just I'll just give you a history. Have you ever heard of Semmelweis? I mean, mm -mm. does that ring a bell? No. So the guy who first really was a proponent of sterile technique, what a concept. There was this hospital over in Vienna, Austria, this is back in the day, and they had midwives and they had doctors and they delivered babies. And back at that time, of course, you know, this is, um, you know, hard time to live, and they had lots of, ladies having babies and babies dying moms dying and, and that's just around the world what happened back then but they a physician by the name of Simmelweis noticed oh the babies that were being delivered downstairs with the midwives their survival rate and the mom's survival rate was 
very, very much higher than the physicians who are delivering the babies on the third floor. So like you had a different, little bit of different geographic area where they're delivering, but who was delivering them was different as well, Mm -hmm. but radically different outcomes. And so he studied this and he noticed that all the midwives were washing their hands thoroughly between patient, patient to patient. They were washing their, and the physicians, they weren't. They're were in such a hurry. They would just go from patient to patient to patient, instantly spreading their disease and infection from patient to patient. So mm-hmm. that was what's going on. So he came up with this idea, sterile uh, preparation prior to, you know, what a concept, washing your hands when it comes down to it. Right. Well, are you kidding me? Do you think that, the consensus, do you think the group there gave him love and accolades and said, you have solved everything you want? No, they, are you kidding me? They chased him out of there. He eventually ended up dying at a mental institution. They, they, you know, the classic Simmelweis story is, he's a physician with a great idea and he's a pioneer in that idea. But the more he went against the consensus, the more hostile they became against him and they chased him out and, and you know, bad. Right. There's many 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 examples of this including modern times in medical school I had to do a history paper uh believe it or not we had a course our first or second year of history of medicine and really fascinating and it was uh lectures by this historian guy it was the best part of the week are you kidding me it's like mm-hmm. a one hour course you know a one credit hour course the only the bugger is you got to do a 12 page paper at the end of the semester on anything in medicine you want like the history of tb the history of this the history of anything but you got to research and put it together and present it and I don't know how the Dickens I chose it, but it was the history of the MRI, developing the MRI, which we take for granted. We got one up on the hill there. And again, MRI is a you know, major breakthrough in medicine, right? You can, prior to that, there's x-rays and they're not without risk of exposure to x-rays. And then uh, CT, you know, uh, which is again, actually a little bit higher dose of radiation potentially. But MRI was groundbreaking in that you are using, believe it or not, magnets okay mm-hmm. and you're doing low proton spin at the cellular level to get images and so this guy who developed this he's a physician md but he's a you know phd is a scientist as well and i will ask you human nature wise do you think he was supported by his colleagues and the american cancer society and all the people he worked with or do they hear magnet and immediately think he's some charlatan bad man and do their very best to stymie him at every step okay of course you know they the latter right because uh consensus how things are people and especially powers that be they're vested in that they don't want you to rock the freaking boat they want you to shut your pie hole and do the work and do it you know because it's consensus okay anytime you hear the word consensus science no one thing it's not science right it's it's the opposite of science it's right. the same as the group of people that said you're never going to have manned flight okay or heavier than air flight because we've proved it consensus says no uh so anyways um you know it's it's just something to remember that throughout history it's the groundbreakers and the people who think outside the box usually they're met not with cheers and accolades but with hostility and overwhelming condemnation and it takes a hundred years later they go oh they were brilliant they were lifesavers and changed how everything worked right every every progress in science in medicine in technology computers i don't care what it is it's going outside of consensus which drives us forward to innovation and, and betterment of mankind right but again that's a fact but people just forget that and just press and always try to hit the guy who's the nail sticking out right 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 go figure could it be a few things I think about is sure. 
could it be where you could systematically make that a part of your whole overarching theme of like we want to seek out the person that's telling the or you know giving the message that's outside of what we're what we're telling right but also it it somewhat makes sense too because for every guy that's brilliant there's probably a hundred that are straight oh sure not brilliant right and they are so there is a a benefit in that maybe right but how do you i don't know i just it seems like there it would benefit every industry everything around if you could somehow take that person seriously right well, but how do you weed the, the right. person who is brilliant out from the person who is not and again this isn't a new thing like i don't know if you've heard the movie the current war with like tesla and edison this goes back i mean yeah none of this stuff you know is any of the stuff is new you have tesla who's literally he's a genius mm-hmm. right he's a genius and 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 god love him so edison and all these guys right but their personalities are very powerful and they go to, into conflict as opposed to collaboration you know and it's just it's very hard. I, I hear what you're saying that you want to rise up somehow or be able to protect the outside voice or the voice of that person who's rabble rousing and rocking the boat. Mm-hmm. But I think human nature is, is the opposite. You know, that where uh, people, you know, I would just say this same guy, his name is, you know, Raymond uh, Damadian is his name. And he, as you might imagine, strong personality, right? And strong personalities don't necessarily win popularity contests mm-hmm. right so even though he had great ideas and great ambitions and he patented it he patented the first mri mm-hmm. uh which incidentally was stolen by ge and he eventually got a court case resolved that got millions back from them but you know without mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm just saying no, things don't mm-hmm. change big big business big medicine but the point being that um you know even if you're a genius sometimes you're your own worst enemy because yeah. of how you approach things so what you're saying is that we need a pathway for voices on the outside to have their day in court, if you will, or at least be able to bring their voice to, you know, the, the majority. It's right. Hard. It's hard. Or, or even again, the informed consent thing, right? There oh, yeah. should be a higher arching foundation above oh, everything. Right. How can it not be that somebody in a high up position in the CDC or in somewhere else cannot come up and say, guys this is imperative to everything we do we need to look at this why has this gone out the window is that good maybe i don't know but doesn't seem like it right this is the foundation of everything we've ever done right why can't somebody say that without being exiled this 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 pandemic was really uh strange right really strange in lots and lots and lots and lots of ways and just think about how um you know how many times guidances have changed and what was promised and then it wasn't and then and and they just roll with it and again it's that i um what's that word for gaslighting mm-hmm. they'll literally look you in the face and tell you something and it's different than last week where they looked you in the face and told you something with assurance and authority mm-hmm. you know and you do this and you won't get this or do that and you won't do that and i'm not trust me and again of course they label you first thing they do is label you with like oh you're a denier you're a hoaxer you're a bad mm-hmm. person you're an anti-vaxxer or whatever and it's like no but I'm a scientist and I want to try to figure out the best way. And oh, by the way, I'm a scientist and I trust and respect the science, which is trying to disprove the hypothesis, not prove it, number one. But number two is that I'm willing to do it with humility right. as opposed to once they're invested, they won't. And especially when it's not just invested personally, but with literally B with a billions of dollars, right? Right. Ooh, it clouds everything. Um, but, you know, oh, Nelly. Um, what the answer is, I don't know. Right, it's, and it's yeah. a difference between seeing the person as an individual sacred or, like I said, the group being more. If if your true foundational mindset is for the good of the many, 
damn the few. Right. You know, you're worth slaughtering a few million if we if we do better for 20 million. If if that's a foundation for you, and tr- and trust me, brother, that is a foundation for many. Right. And part of this, the great reset, getting back to it again, is that the their one of their mindsets is goes back to their mindset is the world is overpopulated. We need less people, and we have this carbon problem and the climate thing. Even though, don't even get me started, okay, mm-hmm. on all that. But uh, but again, their ideas being that um, maybe less people is a good thing, right? right. And so, whoo, Nelly, crazy, crazy, right. crazy. It, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Um, I don't know what to say except that it's it's challenging. But and. I don't want to come across as I know the answers. That's the pissers that I, I don't know the answers to how to deal with some of these things, but it's nice to talk about them with a, with a brother across the table here. You know, it's just, For sure. you just uh, hack it out and, and try to, you know, at least try to uh, know yourself, right. know what you're doing and what your goals and aspirations and, and desires are and why they are what they are. And then as much as you can expand that level of influence. Yeah, right. For sure. To me, I keep going back to, and what do I know? I'm 28 years old. I have a yeah. world to learn, right? But right. I keep going back to the, uh, if you're in a position where you have a, a fairly solid knowledge base about whatever this thing is, or you can see a fallacy right. in whatever the thing is, be the nail that stands up, even though that's a really, really hard place to be. Right. Because there are a thousand other nails sitting around you that are all thinking the same thing right. and nobody will talk about it. And this is super applicable reading the Gulag Arc oh, blog yeah. right now. Right is be that nail because it gives a voice. Otherwise you're a hundred lies down the road and nobody's right. ever said anything. And it, right. it, you'll never go back where That's you should have said sure. something at step one. Right. Sure. There's a classic photo from the Nazi period where, uh, Hitler's talking to like a shipyard and there's a group of like, maybe like literally a thousand guys and they're mm-hmm. all doing the little Nazi salute. But there's this one guy, one guy in the crowd hmm. and he's got his arms folded and he's just kind of looking. And, you know, it's a classic photo if you look it up and it's like, who is that guy? Who's in this sea of conformity, in this sea of consensus, in the sea of like overwhelming, trust me, there's a negative, you're going to, you're going to feel that mm-hmm. not putting your hand up. Right. So, uh, you pay a price for that. Right. So right. are you willing to pay the price when, where, and how, you know, yeah. um, and you've got to balance when and where. So in this, I mentioned before, the homeschool speech and debate, kind of circling back. Right. Um, and I mentioned a book earlier, To Destroy You Is No Loss. Yeah. Okay. And my wife, um, the one group used to get together for speech and debate, kind of coaching at our at our place. And they'd get together every week, these, these kids. And so my wife would teach a little apologetics portion of that too. Mm-hmm. And part of that apologetics was... Um, the book this and he was like how in the world would that book to destroy is no loss be part of apologetics like your worldview well it, it's actually true because mm-hmm. again it goes into decision making and at what point do you do what decision so brief as i can although it's mm-hmm. tangential this family's escaping from cambodia or trying to and he is at risk for you know instant identification and slaughter if he's found and he's got his wife and i think his kid and uh, they're trying to cross the border, okay? And they have valuables. They actually have some diamonds or maybe uh, gold, okay? Some mm-hmm. kind of something precious that's small. And the decision that he has to make is as the father, as the as the um, the leader, of, if you will, of this family, they can wrap it in like wax and mud and place it deep inside his wife's hair because hmm. it's long girl hair, right? Um, 
and, and wrap it up like in a towel kind of thing. But they're no dummies at the border. There's Cambodian guards. And if they're found and if they find this immediately, not only will she be slaughtered, but they'll torture her before they slaughter her, right? So do you put her at higher risk or do you try to get this jewel across that will give you a future outside once you guys get out? And it's just, I have to admit, this little course my wife would teach these kids uh, was discussing these things. Mm -hmm. And again, I want to emphasize discussing. Right. And it's great discussions, right? As far as like the decisions that you make and how you make them and the costs that are involved with all that, right? Yeah. Uh, all of us every day have a, have a lot of opportunities to do the hard right or the easy wrong. And there's various levels. It's not like you're going to throw buddy, somebody in jail who doesn't belong there or some egregiously bad thing. But there are literally lots and lots of daily decisions. And then every now and then on a more, thank God, rare basis, bigger decisions that have much more weight and, and so, solemn, you know, uh, hey, pathway. Am I going to do X or am I going to do Y mm -hmm. and why and how? Um, you know, and, and what are the costs and, and what am I going to do with that cost or, or, or with that decision? Right. No, the, I think the, if you were to tie into that, oh, like sure. if you were 80 years old, looking back in your life, right. you'd like to be able to say that, Hey, I made the tough choice. It hurt. I lost my license. Right. Our, our my financial picture dropped by a 10th, right. uh, thousand percent, whatever. I'm just saying, right. Do the thing that is totally detrimental to you because it's the, but in not because of do the right thing, right. even though it's totally detrimental towards right. what you are currently aspiring towards. I don't right. know. That's just hard because again, it, it affects other people. So finding balance and knowing, right. Maybe you should just know, follow your gut when you have that calling. I, I don't know. And I'll yeah. just say something again, not to get too theological on you, but I pray about it. You know, yeah. like I am a huge believer in prayer. Sure. And like I mentioned, I pray on the way to work. I pray on the way coming home from work and, and it's time well spent, but also, to find um, life is busy, mm -hmm. and especially you got kids and stuff and chasing around and work is busy and you got always something. There's always a thousand things you'd rather do than, than take time to isolate yourself and, and take away from distractions and pray. pray mm -hmm. Prayer is, I think, hugely powerful. And if, you know, even if you're a atheist, I would hope that you could um, reflect and say, that time alone of self-reflection mm -hmm. and trying to communicate uh, and by communicating with like no kidding uh, a valid um, intensity or like not even intensity but just like you take it serious you're not you're not doing anything else but just trying to um, to thank God for what you got but to ask God for guidance and help me make the right choice for a lot of things in life my wife and I our prayer isn't um, even a left right it's just a hey make it clear for us because mm. so many things brother are like right they're very ah oh, yes or no but it's not clear what we're asking for is just clear just clarity just give me a real clear yes or no and you'd be surprised we've had that before where it's like oh well that was thinking clear that's as clear as it gets okay mm -hmm. that door's closed now i mentioned uh i'll tell you what uh Earlier, I was talking about Medicine Sun Frontier, Dr. South Borders. I came, right. literally, I was literally packing my bags, getting ready to go to freaking Syria because yeah. I was like, mentally, I was there. I was like, you know, this is a hard thing because my salary goes to nil practically, but boy, I can make an impact and I've got skills that maybe I could help other people. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's like, well, it's a lot of sacrifice for the famine. Again, a lot of more time separated, but I'm like, yes or no, but man, but, but once they dropped that one bomb or dropped the one shoe, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, that's, that's a clear cut. And I'm like, hey, thank you, God, for that clear-cut no, as opposed to a, 
you know, making it so fuzzy that you're still got a raging, you know, stomach ache trying to figure out the yes or no. Right, right. But that is an important thing to do because even though there's fuzzy aspects of it, right? Yeah. You going there, it's tough on the family, whatever else, salary, yeah. this, that. You were clearly, your heart was in it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm saying like you really wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, but to say, no, I can't because I'm principally against right. what this is. Right. That's a hard thing to do. I, yeah. I agree. I Because exactly. At least I want would have been able to, you know, to try to make it work. Because at that point, I was already military retired. And it's not like I got a boatload of money. But I got a little mm. bit of money. And plus a little bit extra from them. That would have, I could have paid the bills a little bit. Anyways, not mm -hmm. in grand leisure. But, you know, that and doing some locums could have made it work. So who knows? You know, it's like, golly. Um, you know, and you, you don't want to obsess too much about mm -hmm. stuff like this. And again, you have to. We talked about balance, right? The the constant balance between confidence and humility, but also between the practical and the and the theoretical, right? Sure. If you could live as a theologian in a monastery, always thinking about the higher things and like and the big decisions and stuff. But if you concentrate that on ninety nine percent of the time, you're not able to plant the potatoes and actually, you know, do the practical things that we're also called to do. I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know. I think us having this conversation, you could, from the outside looking in, you could argue, hey, this is, you're, you're too concerned about this stuff, right? Though, yeah. whatever it might be. Not yeah. you. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. if we're even having the conversation, but yeah. I think the benefit is in having the conversation, it at least puts a light on it that if it is too far, we right. can look at it, we can think about it, but then it eventually gets you to the point of thinking, okay, what can we do to fix it? What can we do to remedy it? What's right. the, what's the actions that I should take to, benefit myself and my community and the people around me right i feel right. like that's the benefit of, right. of realizing like the again the hard truths of what should i be doing to benefit things that are bigger than myself that makes sense uh, that, makes, that makes good sense so i think there's benefit in the conversation right even I, I even if so. it could get you riled up no joke amped I, up, right i agree i agree yeah. and make you lose some sleep you right yeah um i will say i i talked earlier about like of my everybody's got their little night concerns right yeah. like two in the morning like things that make you think too much okay mm -hmm. and my balance uh is probably close you know like 60 40 60 like personal 40 the world mm -hmm. right? but i'd like to reduce that world part right. more, but, but but it's hard right because yeah. um things in my life i have so much you know in the way of blessings and things to be thankful for that uh on any day-to-day -day basis you know you, uh you know you pray for your kids and, and their choices and what they're doing and how they're doing mm -hmm. um you know and 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 at a certain point too this is a good thing too is that um there's a there's a classic movie i hope you like this movie rudy right Notre Dame movie yeah, I, th oh, I might have watched me. it yeah. oh, brother you're killing me yeah. all right so rudy is the classic you know the guy high school kid wants to go to notre dame and play football though he's not really good at football and he's just not really good academically but the movie essentially maybe from the 80s and 90s and eventually through perseverance perseverance he just eventually gets notre dame and perseverance finally gets on the team and you know the last bit of the movie he actually and it's a real story I mean, mm -hmm. he actually played for notre dame for two plays you know in the 1970s there he is although he's like the least likely guy in the world to do that um but but the the point being in that movie there is a classic scene where the one um notre dame professor and again this is a catholic school and there are professors a lot of times um i think it's theodore hesburgh i think he's a classic uh, professor down there and theologian you know he's sitting there with Rudy and you know he comes to what do I know what do I know well I know that there is a God and I know that I am not him right mm -hmm. so that kind of simplifies everything to that point that I got to rely on him and rely on the fact that I don't have knowledge and thank God for it and I don't have to make 
you know, sometimes um, all I can do is deal with stuff as opposed to drive stuff. You know, that's, right. that's the catch. So, yeah, uh, a couple things. Oh, sure. Actually, I want to, are you familiar with, so I appreciate that. But also, again, I, I'm thinking about what we're talking about, how you can get too amped up in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And also, I think there's a balance and a blend of Huge. my current live under a rock yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and too far. Like, yeah. you should be somewhere in the middle, potentially, right? Okay. Um, but also thinking, are you familiar? And this is a book I want to order and, and look into, but like Stoicism. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you followed that at all? Yeah. Huge. Is there a big benefit in that? Is I that a world so. the guy should dive into? I think yeah. it's awesome. Now, okay. again, what the catch is, um, it's not a Christian worldview, but it's a very... Uh, I think it blends with Christianity very well. That like there's elements of there, okay. and, and yeah, and Stoicism is awesome, and you should okay mm-hmm. um, look into that, okay? Because again, it does help you. Um, how about this? It does help you understand yourself, okay, and the world around you, and it's a very practical as far as therapeutically how you deal with things in such a way that you don't get ass in your gut every day and every mm-hmm. night and a headache that you can't resolve because you can't control what the stinking politicians and business folks are up to today, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a very, I think it's very useful. So right. you should. And the writings of Marcus Aurelius is what you want to get. And there's, okay. there's a bunch of work uh, online and other places and books you can get on that. But yeah, okay, it's very good. That's on my list. I just recently put it down that I, I thought can, to myself that I might be yeah. able to save you some money. I, I might even have it on my bookshelf oh, and I cool. can swing it by someday if you like. Uh, let me let me look when I get home, okay? Okay. Uh, at least it's a place to start. And then the other thing I've been debating is journaling, but that goes right in hand with what you're talking about, the praying thing, right? Whether it's writing yeah. down or talking, it's the same thing, right? It's so I will confess to you, I did that for a bit. Okay. okay? So what was the problem with that? My my problem. And this is a Sean thing, that's not a little thing. It's just a I found myself um, self-editing. Oh, sure. And like, I, I don't know who Dickens was writing for. That's what you have to figure out is who's your audience. Are you writing to yourself in the future? Are you writing to some uh, historian 200 years from now to read mm-hmm. your thoughts? Or In other words, it was very, um, how about this? It was too much, too much self-reflection. And, and like, it reached a point where I'm like, it doesn't reflect truth anymore because I'm trying to write this for somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Whether that's if somebody found it and goes like, Oh, this guy's crazy or not crazy or somebody in the future. It was like, um, so I did that for a very short amount of time, but I did not find it as useful as maybe you could, maybe, yeah. especially if you're a writer. But, um, I was self editing to the point where I'm like, why am I even freaking doing this? Right. I mean, it's like ridiculous. I'm like, um, you know, yeah. Uh, how that goes that's that's probably the biggest thing i i did not find that useful okay. now some people do of course and especially if you're of a, a literary bent mm-hmm. that might be very very efficacious might might be very uh useful sure. especially just to release that there and then be able to reflect on it later right i think i might try it as an experiment and just see how it goes i might have the same end result as you but for sure you're talking about busyness of life i was just talking to somebody recently on here how like a lot of my days end up i wake up my head leaves the pillow and i'm busy till the head my head hits right. the pillow again and i didn't no take joke. a minute to think about right these. that's and, part of why i do this even well, to sit back well, and do I'll, this but yeah. i'll tell you something brother that i think that's the the american state of things where and i'll just editorialize and say i think that's one of the reasons we're in the state we're in where it's like ah things are in such a mess because people have to deal with the day-to-day and the practical and it's that balance 
rather imbalance between the practical and the theoretical is so far practical that we're all just trying to make ends meet and mm-hmm. keep our family happy and, and do the best we can to be good dads and good husbands and all that jazz and work, work, work and a little bit more. And oh, by the way, they need you to work some more. So you work some more. And then uh, you don't give enough time for self-reflection. So right. uh, the Europeans do it a good thing. I think um, not that I'm, you know, whatever. And again, this is stereotype, but Man, those guys know how to vacation. Like, uh, who is that? Who do you say? Europeans. In oh, general. sure, yeah. Right, like yeah. when they 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 take, like if you look at the vacation time for Americans, typically, right. and Europeans, Europeans are, you know, they'll take like a month off in the summer, like a yeah. month, and go to you know Greece or just kind of hang out and breathe and just digest and just be right. Right. Wow, what a concept, right? And again, we we rarely do that kind of thing or have a society that's built around that kind of structure. But wouldn't that be a nicer thing to do right um i will um i'll tell you i did a little medical mission trip one time um and this is to mosul iraq so mosul got taken over by isis after we had kind of left the country isis was or isil depending who you had talked to uh but the you know quote unquote the bad guys whatever they came in there and they uh did horrific things but the government of iraq is like we're going to kick them out and uh, free the country and so we were helping them but uh, I was over with Samaritan's Purse, his little field hospital on the outside of Mosul. Samaritan's Purse was my fallback after Medicine on Frontier fell through. Now, the catch was this. They started the day every day, unless there was active mass casualty. They, they started the day with like this prayer time, this organized sit down and everybody have like a, a devotion time. And when I first got there, I have to admit, you know, ORs, we start ORs at seven because you, that's what we do, man. You mm-hmm. start the day early and you, cause you don't know how long they're going to go. And I'm like, really? You're not going to start cases till like eight thirty or nine because you're going to sit around and do devotions for an hour. First thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? And after two days of that though, I was like, Oh, this is so good huh. to have everybody start the day on more like the theoretical and the, um, the mental as opposed to the practical uh it was i i was a when i first got there i'm like ah really i'm like i, I don't mind going to church and stuff but i was like i was kind of like ah really Are right. we, we're, we're we got we're here for a job come on let's go we got work to do we got cases people people need us so let's go let's go mm-hmm. and of course i didn't verbalize this this was all internal but within a day or two i was like it was so value added to come together as a little community in this little tent and yeah, it wasn't anything profound, but this little little devotional, little half-hour thing. I think they'd sing a, a hymn or two, and that was it. And then you get to work. Mm-hmm. Holy, talk about being in the right mindset by the time you actually start your work, right? It was it was very um, it was very good. It yeah. was very good, you know. And not like I do that now or anything, but boy, that's that was a. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, for sure. I've got. I could think of 12 follow-up questions right now on all the different things. So I think we should just do a follow-up at some point. I agree. I yeah. Agree. This and, is unreal. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Logan, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I could. And again, I should have warned you. Maybe my, yeah. bro- my brother, Bruce, if he's ever listening, will warn you. If you give me five minutes, I'll take five hours of your day and you'll never get it back. And I apologize yeah. for that. But no, this um, is unreal. But, but um, yeah, lots of stuff. I could um, tell you lots of stories about different uh different things you know i kind of touched on briefly different things but uh yeah um you know the the progression and different medicine different places and all that jazz in the future but yeah right. i appreciate it. so I, I do have uh one last follow-up oh, question yes, unless sir. unless there's something you is there something i should have asked that i no, didn't ask is no, there anything no okay uh or just thinking about is there something you would have liked to talk about that we didn't i'll, I'll uh, tell you i um 
in the Navy time. We talked a little about the surface time. Yeah. That was hard. A little about the aviation time. And then medicine time. I did the, and we didn't really get into that as much. Yeah. Two totally different kind of medicine things. I went to Iraq and did some stuff, did stuff in Afghanistan. But I mm. will say the most machine-like I've ever been as far, and I mean it in a good way, mm -hmm. was our Afghanistan, our little trauma unit in Afghanistan was like a freaking machine. Mm. And there's reasons for it. And I'll talk about that at some it, other time with you. But sure. it was like, uh, it, and it comes with a cost as far as like, of course, because you're there's some sacrifice involved as far as how you make that machine into the most efficient life-saving machine that ever existed. Like our rates of survival and resuscitation and doing good stuff were like, phenomenal huh. but but the, it, it was definitely uh time and a place and of course now not without its just bitterness just how all that ended right of course kind of pointless but uh right but good at the time and, but no but no other questions i mean i don't know just uh it was great talking to you though getting to know you a little bit and yeah uh, yeah so the question i wanted to ask you is so you said you had that struggle which i'm somewhat going through right now of the balance of oh, yeah. the home life going to medical school right like who right. does that to their family right through it all, I'd have to imagine that it was well worth it, right? Yeah. But even touching on that, but also touching on like, was it actually a net positive for your kids too to like see you go through that? And, and, That's and, a good question. You know what I mean? Man, oh man. Yeah. So two, now that you said that, before I forget, I'll say one more thing. Yeah. One thing that made that possible too, I went to a very unique medical school. I okay. went to the military medical school in Bethesda, which is Tri-Service Army, Navy, Air Force. But there was the one very unique thing about this school is about half the class each year is prior service either prior corpsman medical guys or prior like aviation whatever guys right? Mm -hmm. which puts us in an average age much older much older than the average medical school average mm -hmm. medical school maybe age enter maybe 21 23 25 mm -hmm. maybe um our age is probably closer to 30 so i was 33 but there's a lot of folks older and the the one thing i want to emphasize is the strength you know we're where one reed is broken easy, you band a bunch together and it's not. So we'd get together, the guys who had kids, and we went in at like two in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, every morning, and we'd have our dad study session. Huh. So we would, even though it's medical school, we do our pre-study from like 2.30 in the morning to like six and seven till classes start, but first two years until you hit the practicals. But, uh, but then try to get home as soon as classes were done so we could still be dads. Like I went to soccer practice and did like dad things mm. in medical school. Oh, I'm, I'll, I'll bet I'm one of the few guys. I never brought a book home, never. Right? In mm. medical school, I never brought a book home. That was like one of our sacrosanct things. When I'm home, I'm dad, and then everything was at school, if that makes sense, but you yeah. just make, but what made that possible was the other, the band of brothers, if you will, the other guys in the same boat. There's about eight of us who had kids who'd come in early, and, and again, you get to know these guys, and again, you'd, you'd kill or die for them. They're great guys. To answer your question on the sacrifice for the kids, was that worth it? Have to ask them. Um, definitely, I bet you they would say, and, and again, not just the medicine part, but the military deployment stuff too, and having a more, uh, I think most families, the, the mom is probably the pillar of strength and education and, and everything for a family. And it's really reinforced in a military or medical setting, mm -hmm. I think more than most. The net positive on that, that's a good question. I'll say, uh, how about this? Um, most of my kids are in medicine. Like mm -hmm. my uh, three out of three daughters are in medicine. Dent, I'm including in medicine. Uh, my son that's already out is in medicine. And then I got two more boys at Michigan Tech who probably, they're not really medically bent and they're probably not thinking about that. But um, boy, that's a 
good question. The effect and the long-lasting impact on the family and on the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have obvious damage at this right. point. I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping. I'm hoping they're not. Uh, I don't know. That yeah. that's a real good question. Could yeah. I have been a better dad? Absolutely. No. Absolutely. I. Um, you know, it's hard. It's that's yeah. a hard question yeah. yeah being a parent is tough right and oh, you can yeah. you can no matter what you could be the perfect parent and the most perfect per- parent in the world yeah you'll look back and say i could have done this differently and that differently whatever right again you're doing the best you can at that time right but it wasn't even a question about how you are as a parent but there's to me there's an, an element of your kids are going into these high-end programs right the doctors yeah. Yeah, dentists yeah. whatever else yeah, yeah that seeing you go through that is what gave them the confidence to do that is how uh, i would look at it maybe, yeah okay i'll buy that maybe yeah and um I'll buy that. Yeah. I, I will. Now, I will confess to you. I will confess to you. Uh, our oldest daughter is definitely of an artistic nature. Mm-hmm. And if she had her desires, she, she got into blown glass and stained glass work. And if if her, like, initial, probably her knack, her, her personality and everything had its own desires, mm-hmm. she would have done, like, she would have been a glass maker. Like, sure. uh, and we strongly encouraged and kind of drove her in with the idea of being that this, how about this? You know, we said, Hey, get a profession or a career that you could do to pay for being a glass person. Cause there's probably only one in five, one in 10, you know, stained glass people that can put food on the table doing that. So mm-hmm. have it as a hobby as not your primary. Sure. Um, so she would kind of pushed if that makes sense. To answer the yeah. question, she probably did it kind of, um, with, strong encouragement not intimidation but encouragement from us as opposed mm-hmm. to the other for um, sure but that's how that she goes um i i don't know i hope i hope the kids are look back and say it's okay i yeah. think that they um on a bigger level this is a pretty deep level right who would say this but i'm going to say something that every person should at some point we talked about a good dose of humility being important in a well-rounded person and there's a tendency to make a kid, especially, God forbid, if there's a only kid, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that's like the classic where they become the focus, the, the alpha, the omega, and everything about a family and a, and a couple's entity and existence is to satisfy Johnny. Mm-hmm. And of course, that can make a monster. So I would hope that if there was a downside to me being away so much, and there was you know, obviously a downside to that, but I hope the upside is that they see that they're... Um, they're themselves aren't the center of the universe Mm -hmm. and that other people and other service to other people, hopefully that I've reflected mirrored a little bit will be high on their priority list. In other words, that they have to understand that I was willing to go away and never come back, you know, in certain circumstances, not to get too deep about it and never, you know, cause I, you know, I lost some guys. Right. And that happens is that that was on the table and I saw that on the table, but was still willing to put that on the table for the greater impact to other people. And hopefully they live their lives in such a way that that is reflected, that they can not be doing things without thinking of other people first. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So that's kind of a roundabout way of saying it. But, uh, you know, if you live your life in such a way that you're willing to give it up for Mm -hmm. others, that's that's not a bad way to start, right? You right. Know, maybe. I don't know. For sure. No, I really like that. And the other part of it too is sometimes the hardest people to have these really tough conversations oh, with sure. is your 
a father and son oh, or sure. a daughter and, and son, right? Right. Or I mean, a daughter and a father and a mother or whatever else. Right. That's I mean, you got years of history there. It's hard to be like to have those tough conversations. But to me, in my head, a lot of these lessons, like you said, the sacrifice and that it teaches them to. I hope. Uh, right? yeah, yeah, that's the hope, right? That's yeah. all you can do as a parent is hope and pray, yeah, right? Right. Uh, but you hope that it, it teaches them a to live a life of serving others, right? right? But a lot of it, they probably won't learn necessarily or truly feel it until their parents, right? Oh, until, yeah. or until they get to a certain age. Yeah, like, yeah. look at this feeling of like, I'm going to work more than most maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. And I wish I could be at home with my kid, but right. I need to do this thing. I have this calling. Like, you don't realize till that moment how much of a sacrifice you had made. Okay. Right? Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I hope so. In other words, yeah. what you're saying is more like a legacy thing. Like, yeah. uh, you know, that they could look back in the future as they get more experience and, and, and some more experiences and be able to go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. first of all, that was, a, that was a pretty hefty sacrifice, but this was the reason why, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's very interesting. I like yeah. that. And again, uh, yeah, I guess all just stuff. I, I, to me, that's, yeah, I just enjoy thinking about that kind of stuff because again, I'm in it right now. I've got four, two and zero at home. So yeah, right. in 20, in 15 years, I'll yeah. be analyzed by my kids. And, and brother, I'll tell yeah. you, uh, oh, embrace every poopy diaper i mean and that yeah. sounds crazy right but i'm telling you you'll miss it someday there's again another country western song you're gonna miss this someday you know yeah. it's like blink your eyes blink them and they're gone they're, they're like already 18 going to michigan tech and you're like wow that right. was quick and i mean quick i mean mm-hmm. like you blink and uh every you know i'm gray and all that stuff but every gray haired guy will tell you uh and and it's accelerating as you get older like yeah. the, the uh, weeks and the days you know faster 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 it's just crazy so um it just shows that i mentioned before the hours uh the hourglass right and it's a great analogy man it's just that sand is dripping man fast so we just got to do the best we can but but, right. but definitely appreciating even the times that you're like ah oh, if i could just sleep another two hours and not change this diaper and oh can't they just be quiet for another two hours so i can rest a little just know that yeah, that's not in the cards right now. Yeah. That's okay. And just embrace <laughs> it and love it and go, yeah, that's part of it, right? Yeah, we are in the thick of that for yeah, sure. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But it's a it's a it's a calling and it's a blessing and it's a good thing. And you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. No, honestly, Sean, this is unreal. Oh, really- Logan, I appreciate it, man. No joke. It was uh it was it was very good for me too. I didn't know what to expect. And again, I apologize if I if I go long winded and what yeah. have you, but uh hopefully it's uh of utility to somebody and again these these i know what you're talking about with the podcast that you put it out there and you're not really sure you're running the flag up the flagpole and you have no idea if mm-hmm. anybody can even see it hear it or, or appreciate it but i bet you i bet you they do i've i listened yeah. to some of your your work there and, and i did i was like that's really cool and that was very very good and fruitful and i appreciated it so yeah i bet you more and more so so um again uh just big thoughts and big thinking and, and it's a it's not bad to do that that's for dog on shore right yeah uh, like right. i said every one of us is a philosopher it's just some of us suck at it every yeah. one of us is a theologian but a lot of us just you know are absolutely terrible at it right they're just ridiculous because they don't want to think the big thoughts and 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 really put thoughts into how precious this time is and what we're gonna do with it right yeah that's it that's powerful it. stuff yeah i hope so yeah, so, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> all right well thanks logan yeah thanks all right. Sean. all right thanks man hey guys thank you for listening today i hope you enjoyed it if you have and you feel so inclined share this podcast with your friends subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us some feedback with a review until next time thank you